Greetings and salutations. You're listening to the Survival Podcast for people who take movies too seriously. Uh, we survived the apocalypse, so you don't have to. I guess I should add that line. Uh, as a lot of you know, we are in lockdown, so Shane had to leave the bunker. He went up to his allotment to defend it off against raider, raiders, uh, and he brought the satellite phone so as we could, he could call back and we could do an episode, but uh, I can't get through to him. I, I tried, and it seemed to ping somebody else instead. So uh, joining me is Luke from Scapegoat Podcast. Hi, guys. Um, lucky phone call, I guess. I'm not sure what, how, how that really happened, but... Well, you know, I just like I'm staying in a bombed out church and maybe just the steeple just was a good uh, <laughs> recording signal in. Yeah, it's just we, very lucky, very convenient that uh, it pinged somebody, somebody that's been on the show before. Uh, it's almost like there's nobody else left. I haven't been outside my house in four days. so that, Or I mean, <laughs> the bunker. I've been outside the bunker in four days. So uh, that may very well be. Well, you know, I've just been surviving on uh, communion bread and wine for the last, you know, week. So <laughs> I don't know when that's going to, you know, end. <laughs> We are, uh, of course, we're doing a demolition man this week, as the title would suggest, and we'll get. I'll get into why that, that uh, relates to coronavirus. But before discussing the film, uh, how are you actually getting on in general with this whole semi-lockdown? You know, um, it's been like a kind of major lockdown for one week oh, now. For you, and yeah, for you yeah. certainly, because like it's. I think that. Originally, just uh, the part of Ireland Johnny's in had a stronger kind of initial presence. So the part I'm in kind of a week ago decided we've got to get our act together and went in ultra yeah. harsh. Um, yeah, no, yeah. It's been, been kind of, it's been okay, but like, you know, I've been super careful, like, you know, trying to like kick, click and collect to get groceries. So I did that for the first time today and, you know, right. you didn't get, I got so many substitutions that it was a little bit crazy, but uh you know, oh, yeah, here, imagine. here, you know, as different people have said that, you know, a lot of people have had it a lot worse in the past than me saying, oh, no, I didn't get beer that I wanted or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you, you're not uh, going and doing groceries because you're, you've been pretty much told to stay inside for three weeks, right? Yeah, no. I mean, I'm uh, because of my job that I one of my jobs, I do essential work. So I have to mm. go out to people's houses and support them. But yeah, uh, yeah. outside of that, I'm trying to avoid things because, you know, it just seems like the kind of thing that, you know, you just try and put your head on and think, okay, it might last longer than three weeks, but I should be able to last three weeks. Because, you know, in your own head, you think, oh, like, you know, if like World War Two had happened, I could have like easily survived the Blitz or something. And then you're just like one week without Pringles or something. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it's funny here because so just uh, Friday, our Taoiseach announced like further further measures, I guess you'd call it. Not We're still not quite locked down because we can like go to the grocery store and there's still essential services and we can, you know, exercise within a two kilometer radius. So like we can still like go to the park once it's within two kilometers, but, but by ourselves. From Sorry. what I understand, aren't all people over the age of 70 aren't allowed out of their houses? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like here, it's kind of like mostly a lockdown, but our government kind of like didn't really listen to what London was, who would be like the main people in charge were doing. So they only really locked it down ourselves on Friday. But you no, know, it's just good to take precautions because, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. well, you know, there's also the whole kind of thing that like 
it's a bit similar to the AIDS epidemic in like the 1980s that you kind of get the feeling a number of people to get, are kind of like brushing statistics being like, no, this person didn't die of this. Like they died of that. It's like, no, you don't die of a gunshot wound. You die of blunt force trauma or something. You know, it's like, yeah, no, but, yeah. but you know, if you didn't have this, that wouldn't have happened. Apart from podcasting and working, what are you doing when you're self-isolating? Um, Very little. Like I should be doing more uh i should be using this time to i don't know write the great american novel or something but i think it's probably a good time to actually just record more podcasts so that's what i'm trying to do i was going to try and record more podcasts but um unfortunately one of our local representatives uh nicola clochen who is in the uh, tv show the dairy girls has forbidden people to <laughs> podcast she says that we're oh. the lowest form of life so i've had to go into semi-retirement right because she's from Derry and i'm from like close to there you know you have to take it that you know her role is boss so yeah although she's yeah. not even really from Derry, she's from galway i just thought like you know i've got the time to make the podcast but uh someone who played a beloved <laughs> fictional character has told me not to so yeah you know, well you have I to mean, obey that's a fairly popular show so like that person could she could be a, a lead lead the country someday and you'll be the people that disobeyed that order will be the first to be sent to the gulag Oh, no. I mean, like, you know, I totally believe it that, you know, they might even, you know, stick you in somewhere worse. Like, uh, OK, I was going to say Trump. somewhere in Northern Ireland, but uh, nobody would get that. <laughs> <laughs> now, just to go back to that, did she what did she actually say? Because I don't I don't actually know this uh, story. Oh, no. Basically, but she released a tweet during the week and said, like, you know, I know like an, an awful lot of like white men will be stuck indoors for the next few days. But for the love of what all that you do, don't go and make a podcast. It's not worth it. Now, I agree with her, though. Well, did she say make one or start a podcast? I think start a podcast. See, I agree with that because a lot of people are now is the time they're going to be starting their podcast. And I think don't if you already have one focus on it and do more but don't start one now because you're bored it's the same with like because there's a lot of people saying it, like oh now's the time to you know write a novel it's like no don't if, if you're going to write a novel because you're bored i don't want to read it nobody wants to read a novel you wrote just because you were bored people want to read a novel you quit your job to write not one that you're just like bored and suddenly thought yeah i can do this because it's de it's definitely going to be shit well you know the way i view it is I kind of view it as an, it depends if you're making it as a form of art or not. That mm. the way I kind of view art is art can exist and be beautiful without anyone ever viewing it. So well, that, in the kind of weird way, true. if you're making a podcast with, that you know, that basically Scrumsy down the road's going to listen to and two other people, and you're just happy that you're talking to a mate and you're doing something to be creative by all means. But if you're suddenly just deciding I'm going to jump in and like with, like in an oversaturated market belief, like after three months of making a podcast, why don't I have a thousand listeners? Like, you know, yeah, just not the way yeah. it works. That is more what I'm getting at. I guess I'm, I'm so sounding kind of like cruel about it. But what I mean is just that it, it's more the intention of doing it because you're bored. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't actually matter if, if you just want to write or want to record a podcast and create some art, do it. But I just don't, I think if you're only doing it because you've got nothing else to do, you're, it's not going to be appreciated, but you're probably not going to be satisfied with it either way. Well, you know, you know? I, I would agree with that, that like, I think there's bad intentions, but it's like, you know, it's like if suddenly I decided I wanted to become like a professional video gamer and start playing on the esports sports scene, like, you know, you're just like, okay, well, 
if you want to do something, you should have done it before like this. I mean, it's yeah, different yeah. if you're listening to this. I would give a caveat. If you're like maybe 15 to about 21, 22, and like, you know, you haven't really done anything, but it's like, you know, if you're suddenly just like, I'm 47 and I'm just going to make a podcast now. It's just like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you had the chance. Yeah. It, it's like, yeah, like if you've always wanted to do something and just never had the time and now you've got too much time, yes, it's a great opportunity to to use it to do something you always wanted to do. But I think what I'm kind of, the people who just weren't really thinking about it and just now that they have the time and heard that somebody else is using it to make their podcast or write their novel that you're like, oh yeah, I guess I could do that. That's a bad reason. Well, you know, but, what I would say you know that somebody's podcasting for a bad reason. And I'll put this down as a caveat that you can start a podcast for whatever reason and you can cause yourself joy. But if you open a podcast and within three or four weeks, maybe even two weeks, you're opening a Patreon for it, then you're in it for <laughs> absolutely the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is, I see quite a bit of that happening. Because, you know, I've kind of had my podcast there and like, you know, I'd get like a reasonably decent amount of listeners, but like I wouldn't do it regularly <laughs> enough that I would just be like, here, I would need to be making a product good and constant to even think about doing that. But you know, there's some oh. people who are just like, I've made two episodes. Now you must donate to me. I'm like, look, <laughs> so cheeky. Like, what's worse? They'll, they'll launch a Patreon and then like, They'll, they'll have like three episodes they'll have done like a, a weekly podcast for three weeks then launch a patreon and the fourth episode is patreon exclusive <laughs> like they put behind a paywall straight away and nobody's even listening <laughs> oh no but it's just you know it's so crazy that like to me i think with podcasting there is a certain kind of like you have to do it because you love it and you know you have to do it that like you know, I would be very happy if somebody randomly said, I like your podcast and I'm a rich millionaire and I will pay your podcasting fees or whatever for a year. And that'd be totally cool. But it's like, you know, in the kind of way that you're just like, I'm going to hold my podcast you know, for a ransom or something like that. You know, yeah. I'm not going to make any more episodes until you give me money. You're just like, dude, mm. like nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Well, I guess uh, with that, we should get into the film. Or actually, you know what? That would be great. I should promote uh, our Patreon there, but I think I missed I missed the opportunity. I'll, I'll work it in somewhere else. Don't worry, I'll help you shill it later. <laughs> <laughs> see, see, the, the genius of that is that I've te- I've just promoted it without actually making it sound like it. I'll cut this part out. So, with Demolition Man, the reason you're actually on this show, well, other than you accidentally being pinged, is because you recommended this as an episode. I guess years back now. You were saying it was one of your first comments. I think I recommended this to you. I haven't searched the comment out, but it was either in 2015 or 2016. It was probably, so it was probably when we'd done the Running Man episode, was it? Yes, that like, I found your, believe it or not, I was living in South Korea at the time and I was just randomly looking at podcasts and I found uh, those conspiracy guys and... I'd listened to like two or three episodes and then yours came on. So I found your episode very early into that as well. So I think that was your 20th episode. So then I went back and listened to that, like, you know, and ironically, today's episode also has Jesse the Body Ventura. So, you know, of course, there's a bit of a connection. Yeah, there's probably a lot of connections, but uh, I think maybe, am I wrong 
did you mention it? Because I think in The Running Man, we talked about how, I can't remember the exact detail, but it was some, it was some product placement in The Running Man that was different in the European release. And somebody I remember at the time commented about Demolition the Man. The Pizza Hut. Having a, yeah. Yeah. Was that you? I think that was me. Chance? I think that was yeah. me, that this was back in the day when uh, people were commenting on the, the Disaster Hours Facebook that like, you know, now would be a better time. Like a lot of people go on Discord, but this was just back, you know, when people are still trying yeah. to find what's the best way to contact people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, God, we... I, don't think I, I don't even have a personal Facebook anymore, so it's rare for me to even see the disaster artist Facebook page. But anyway, so to to where that started was you you uh, were when as you were introduced to the show, I guess Demolition Man was introduced to us as the, as a potential episode from you, uh, yeah. and it's taken us a long time to get there. It's funny. I would see Demolition Man as being almost a parallel film to The Running Man in a strange way. They're very alike. Yes. But I think what's they have funny, certain parallels, yeah. Yeah, what, what's funny with rewatching it, because it had been, God, like I'd say I might have been 12 the last time I've seen Demolition Man. And I remember, like, I remember it so well. Like, there's, it obviously had a profound impact on me because as I was watching it, like, I, I knew what was coming. I knew I could remember lines from it. But, you know, two decades since I've seen it, at least. I was just surprised that it still was so fresh in my memory, which I think is a, a testament to the film. No, I mean, like, it's a very, very memorable, like, Sylvester Stallone 90s film that, like, you know, if I was thinking of other uh, Sylvester Stallone films from the 90s, it would be that, it would be Cliffhanger, and we probably the film Assassins with Antonio Banderas, and I couldn't probably name another one off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't think I've even seen Assassins, to be honest. I remember it being a good movie, but that means nothing, because again, I probably watched it when I was 11. Yeah, well, the funny thing with Demolition Man, I remembered loving it as a kid, but in my memory, I always thought, well, clearly I just liked it as a kid, and it's probably a terrible movie. Yeah. But it's it's fantastic. <laughs> like, oh, it's a I loved it. great movie. Like, you know, I really liked it, and, you know, it had more twists than you remembered. Like, the camera characters mm. were a bit more built, and... It kind of had a vague kind of like, you know, a campness, like Starship Troopers that you're watching it as an adult and you're like, yeah, yeah. oh. Yeah, now I, re- all that, I remembered almost every scene in the movie, but that's it. The tone was completely different watching it as an adult. There was things that, yeah, as a 12-year-old, I just didn't think anything of. I just accepted it as kind of a, like a fun action movie and didn't realize what they were actually doing with it. Yeah, no, I mean... There's a lot of kind of like general just twists and turns and just like even the way the dialogue works that like, you know, you're looking at it and you're thinking, actually, they meant something a bit more by that. Yeah, yeah. Even the like the the, the cover, the, the DVD cover and the opening are them are in themselves Mr. X because you, you get the impression if, if you read the, the plot of it and you see the cover, and I mean, the very basic sort of plot, the, you know, they're cryogenically frozen and awake in the future. You expect that they're going to awake in a sort of dystopian cyberpunk future. The cover even has that kind of color palette. Yeah. 
and the opening is LA in 1996 and it's it's like the LA that's in Predator so you expect well things are just going to get worse in when they wake up in the future but they wake up to an improved world well in a sense an improved world because like you know when the film opens it opens on like the Hollywood sign burning and like the poor old Hollywood Fantastic. sign the amount of times I've seen that destroyed but like you know it's yeah. a certain thing it's like the it's like the go, it's like the Golden State Bridge, like the amount of movies that that's been destroyed, and to the point like I've never I've never been to San Francisco, but someday I'll go there, and if the Golden State Bridge is still intact, I'll be real disappointed. Oh yeah, I mean it's like you know if it's set in London, you're going to see the Houses of Parliament being destroyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> there's a ninety percent chance. But you know you're looking at this, and this film was just right after the LA riots, so like I think people there thought at the time like. This is going to be like an absolute hellscape because, you know, there's just lines and lines and lines of cars completely burnt out. And yeah, it's going yeah. to like, you know, a burned down mall and that's the focus. Yeah, the LA riots were in 92 and this was made in 93 and the opening is set yeah. in 96. But it was that was a thing with the 90s with Hollywood movies set in LA. Like their vision of LA was pretty much like escape from la is a, a good one but even like predator 2 which is set like it doesn't really say it's set in the future it's meant to be set in like the now but their yeah. take on la is just it's an absolute cesspool you know and it just you kind of think about it and just be like you know is that kind of like self-loathing from hollywood itself because they're always kind of showing it being like you know destroyed mm. Or is it just like they think like, okay, well, we have to do a set piece and we can just go drive a mile out the road, take a few pictures and just rebuild it rather than have to think what <laughs> Moscow looks like. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost kind of parody-ish because like every, it's like overkill. It's kind of like, you know, everything is completely destroyed and it looks like, you know, absolute hellscape that if you showed that and you said like that's in John Connor's future of the Terminator, you'd believe it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The take in this film is just it's a natural regression for a metropolitan city like that. Like at least in Terminator, it's like, well, there's no uh, robot uprising, so we have a, a specific event to led to this hellscape. But there's no it really in Demolition Man. Well, you know, you kind of get the feeling that it's via, you know, the local warlord who will introduce uh, Simon Phoenix, who is desperate to stop people from getting near his territory. And I think that's a great name, Simon Phoenix. Yeah, that's something that the names in this film are pretty fantastic and you're introduced to them straight away. And yeah. I, what I do love as well is that Stallone, who is John Spartan. Wait, what's his name? John Spartan. I do love as well that uh, he, he screams Phoenix every time he's running for him or running away. He just screams, Phoenix! There's one or two times it sounds like he's saying something else. <laughs> well, you know, maybe penis. That was... it sounds like he's saying penis. Oh, I did get that, but uh, perhaps, <laughs> there's one, perhaps there's one where I just thought it sounded like it, and wasn't it? Wasn't that like a a game in the nineties because of a Tom Cruise movie? Wasn't there something like where you just scream penis in a crowded room or something? Um, Have you ever heard of that, that game, the penis game? No, no. But I mean, like, I think you know. it happens in it happens in Fourth of July. Tom Cruise. I could be wrong on this, but I think Tom Cruise screams penis in some scene there, and then it became some game where you'd be in like a shopping center and like you just like scream penis or scream penis and then just act completely normal, and everybody around is just like, did somebody just scream penis? 
No, I mean, like, you know, I would have imagined that was the kind of thing that you'd have heard, like, behind the walls of, like, a Gerard Leto retreat, but, you know. <laughs> I've never heard of it in that context. I'm, I'm surprised. That that just seems like something you'd you'd have heard about. That seems like something you'd have done an episode on. <laughs> like, just a weird <laughs> People run around screaming penis. <laughs> like, you know, it's kind of like, I, I don't know. It's Maybe it's just one of those things that, like, I've kind of like put away from my brain, but like I just can't recall it. But like you know, I have I have heard some dodgy stuff about Tom Cruise, but like <laughs> you know, I'd just be that just that would be the kind of thing maybe that uh, you might enjoy in private. <laughs> so, um, well, we'll 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 assume that they were playing the penis game at some point. Like maybe that was Stallone just like having a bit of crack on set, like, and he's like, maybe it's if this makes it into the cut. I, I'd say. I'd say Sylvester Stallone would be good banter. Like, you know, I would say that, like, you know, I've seen, like, behind the scenes on The Expandables, and it just seems like a bunch of guys getting drunk and just being lads, you know? There's, oh, I, I know that I'm going on a huge tangent, but, um, oh, I heard a story recently about, the, there's this, is it Richard Gere? Yeah, Richard Gere and Stallone having, <laughs> are infamous for having, a feud there's even like a suggestion that it may have been stallone that started the richard gear gerbil story <laughs> as payback really? i mean yeah well i mean like i just think that's quite funny no um i would just say like you know that's definitely seen someone like up slice stallone's alley and i'll be honest that like you know richard gear does seem the type that like you know when your name when you know when you're starting a rumor about someone that you know you have to know your target in the kind of way that like, you know, if I said Sly Stallone, if I was making a rumor about him, you couldn't, there's certain things that people wouldn't believe about him, but like Richard Gere does seem potentially deviant. <laughs> mm. Yeah. yeah. There's also actually the same thing. Schwarzenegger tricked Stallone into doing Mr. Mom, or no, wait, was that the other way around? There's some, there was some terrible Stallone movie that flopped, and apparently was that Stop or My Mom Will Shoot? Yeah, it must be that. And Stallone or Schwarzenegger tricked Stallone into doing it. He pretended he was up for the role, and that he was going to do it, so Stallone would actually take it because there was another movie that Schwarzenegger wanted to get or something. Or maybe it was just as a prank he'd done it, but either way, he tricked him into doing a shit film. But, well, you um, know, they definitely had, like, there was definitely a huge rivalry between Stallone <laughs> and uh, Schwarzenegger at the time. And that does sound like the kind of thing that you would do. It's kind of like, you know, I know companies <laughs> do this. Like, it is actually very popular in the film world that, like, people will suddenly, you know, they'll find a really bad book and then they'll suddenly start spreading rumors like, you know, Universal wants to make like a movie version of this absolutely crap book and it starts <laughs> yeah, a bidding yeah. war. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, somebody hears it and they'll be like, look, here, if they're going to bid on it, we'll bid on it. And like, you know, I think there is an artificial enough way that you could like, you know, if you're a really bad offer, but you had the right connections, you could totally have a film version made just by spreading rumors and people are like, Damn yeah. it, I'm not letting her get away with this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've even thought about like pretending that we were going into pre-production on a TV show with this, so it's hopefully like somebody else would bid on it. But well, there's it's, this kind of leads to something that I was gonna. I didn't ask you to cover a story on my podcast, which we might record later this week. But 
it's mm. we'd kind of like i think there are certain aspects even with podcasting that you might be able to artificially make a huge podcast just by complete smoke and mirrors <clears throat> i think a lot of podcast there's a lot of podcasts out there that are that you know anytime you just see a new podcast pop up that it's just two comedians that like vaguely know each other and suddenly they're like best friends and have like you know, they're, they're onto their fourth podcast and they record it. They all record them in one like warehouse where every corner, there's a room that somehow has like nine corners and each corner is just a set of another podcast. And they just like cross, cross the room to go as a guest on another. Do you know what I mean? Do you yeah. know the podcast I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, you know, like I, the fighter I, and the I, I kid get started. started. I mean, there's an awful lot of that. Cannot, like, you know, you want to help your friends, but like, you know, I think there's a difference between if you have something like the Smodcast Network with Kevin Smith, where you start mm. off and he's just like, okay, I'm going to record a couple of podcasts. And then you've got Tell Him Steve, Dave, which are another couple yeah. of his friends who are getting involved. And like a big thing like Earwolf or iHeartRadio, where it's just yeah, basically yeah. you listen to one podcast and they're like, okay, we're going to plug this podcast. And then the next but week we're going to plug this podcast. They're, they're all very organic and their hosts have like a chemistry together. But there is like, it seems to be a big thing in LA where there's like some production company who has figured out the formula and they just put any two comedians together. And the podcasts do all right. They get like maybe 30,000 downloads a month, but it's enough for ads to play on them. They'll still come in, they'll do an hour, they'll have no nothing to talk about. They'll just like chat because they know each other so they can make some jokes and they'll go in, they'll, they'll have an assistant, an intern off mic reading them out things that are in the news. They make a few comments on it. The episode goes out, gets 30,000 downloads. Nobody listens to it again. Everybody only listens to the to the most recent episode. It's not like our podcast or your podcast or those conspiracy guys where people will go back through the back catalog because it's not relevant, you know. Um, and there's so many podcasts like that that there's this sort of illusion that they're really big, but they're not. Like, no, I mean, like I remember I was showing this thing, and you know, with Podcast Addict, which would be the service I'd use because I've got an Android phone. You can go mm. onto it and you can click on a podcast and it will tell you how many people are subscribed to them on iTunes. And yeah. you'll sometimes look at the podcast chart and like I'm not calling out anyone, but like you'll see suddenly it'll be like Serial or, you know, Freakonomics or, you know, uh, something like that. And they'll be on like three, two or three million downloads kind of like per episode. And then it'll be like six in the chart, something with like 8,000 downloads. And you'll just be like, okay, how is this a chart? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I, the, the the Apple charts use your number of reviews contribute to where you actually place are placed in the charts, which is bullshit. But you know, it should just be like total downloads. It should just be like the music hmm. charts. That it should be like, okay, your Spotify listens, your total downloads that week, and then it links in. And that's just the way I Absolutely. think it should go. Because like yeah, you know, yeah. it does seem like. There is a kind of weird way you can manipulate it and get up on charts. And, you know, it's, I think there is a good way to play the game and certain people know how to rig it. Yeah, no, there, there absolutely is. I'm going to go back to something here because I, I just can't uh, leave this, the uh, Richard Gere-Stallone feud. <laughs> uh, so, I have, I, so could you give me a bit more information on this? Like, what do you think was, uh, what do you think caused the main animosity? Well, we actually know because Stallone uh, talked about it in an interview with Ain't It Cool a few years ago. 
And there's this, I'm just going to read this out to you because I haven't read this in a while, but it's amazing. So they done a movie together called The Lord, the Lord of Flatbush, which I've never seen. I think they're, they play during like a greaser sort of 50s gang in it or something. Yeah. And apparently they just didn't get along. So this is what uh, Stallone said about Richard Gere. He would strut around in his oversized motorcycle jacket like he was the baddest knight at the round table. One day, during an improv, he grabbed me. We were simulating a fight scene and got a little carried away. I told him in a gentle fashion to lighten up, but he was completely in character and impossible to deal with. Then we were rehearsing at Coney Island and it was lunchtime, so we decided to take a break. And the only place that was warm was in the backseat of a Toyota. <laughs> I, I, I was eating a hot dog. <laughs> I was eating a hot dog and he climbs in with half, with half a chicken. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> covered, covered in mustard. <laughs> what? Sounds like a fever dream. <laughs> so, 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 I, I can't. I've got the giggles. I can't go back. So he he comes. He climbs in with half a chicken covered in mustard, with with grease dripping. <laughs> out of the aluminium wrapper I, I I said hey that thing is going to trip all over the place he, he said don't worry about it if, if it gets on my pants you're going to know about it Sorry, so this is Stallone again. Stallone says, if that gets on my pants, you're going to know about it. He proceeds to bite into the chicken and a small greasy river of mustard lands on my tie. I elbowed him in the side of the head and pushed him out of the car. The director had to make a choice. One of us had to go. One of us had to stay. Richard was given his walking papers. To this day, he really dislikes me. <laughs> So Richard Gere was fired from the film on account of eating a greasy chicken sandwich and getting out the Sloan's pants. Okay, well, I mean, there's there's so many questions. Like, you know, okay, like, like why why on this film set is the only warm place in the backseat of a Toyota? Yeah. So I can just imagine, like, Sylvester Stallone, he's, like, eating a hot dog in the back. <laughs> like, Richard Gere turns up with chicken, half a chicken covered in mustard. Now, Chicken and mustard is a weird combination. <laughs> he like, sounds like Richard the Third, just eating a big chicken. He just sounds like you know. Maybe he was at like medieval times. You know, he he thought it was on the wrong movie and just thought like you know I should have a banquet in the back of this Toyota. But how if you're eating half a chicken covered in mustard? How do you get it onto the pants of the person beside you anyway? You'd have to be eating over them. It's just like you know. So just so I get it, did he bite into it or did he tear it in half or? Sorry, <clears throat> like, did he bite into the chicken to get the grease out, or did he tear it in half? I think he, or I think he just—it's—I think it just—he bit into it. <laughs> That's a bad chicken. Because <laughs> <laughs> he says, "Yeah, he proceeds to bite into the chicken, and a small greasy river of mustard lands on my tie." So, right, imagine this. So, imagine that you're a director, and you hear this is your big break. You're directing like what is the legend of flat of Flatbush? 
Yes. Okay. And you thought it was that other kind of movie because, you know, little known fact, but um, the first film Sylvester Stallone ever filmed was actually a pornographic film. So you yeah. say, okay, we've got Sylvester Stallone and The Legend of Flatbush. Oh, I know what kind of movie this is. And you're like, oh, wait, it's not that. <laughs> okay, it's, some, it's him and Richard Gere. And you're just like, okay, I'll get over this disappointment. And then you have an irate Stallone being like, this fucker got all this fucking mustard on my tie. How did that happen? We're eating in the backseat of a warm Toyota. What? Okay. And he, he, he bit into it and mustard of this chicken went all over me. He's just like, this is some sort of prank. What? How does this fit in? Like, can, what would, how, how is a director, do you think you would deal with that sort of inner conflict? I mean, well, this guy dealt with it by uh, firing Richard Gere. I think, like, that to me, it'd be an indication that they both needed to go. But Stallone, you see, Stallone, well, you how know, big was Stallone in 1974? You see, he wouldn't, Rocky was what, 1978, was it? I think so, yeah. I was going to say six, but either way, yeah, I think it was after anyway. Well, I don't so, think either of them would have been that big. That, like, you know. Yeah. I would just maybe be looking at this here. And be like, okay, well, I have to get rid of one of these weirdos. Maybe get the competent actor because you know, you know, if you're like directing like minor kind of like new stars or something like that, you know, the chances of them becoming a Sylvester Stallone are very like bad. And like yeah. you know, we've got this sort of like that kind of stuff there that like you know, famously on Easy Rider, you had like what was it, Rip Torn pulled a knife on uh, who was the bad guy Dennis in the Hopper. Super Mario film. <laughs> Dennis Hopper. <laughs> yeah, that's how I remember him. King Koopa himself. Like one of them pulled a knife on him and it went on for years. But like, you know, it's it's like one of those iconic things that everyone became really, you know, famous out of. Because, you know, if it hadn't been a big film or, you know, both, both stars wouldn't have like ended up becoming big, it would have just been very messy. I mean, like figuratively and literally, like for Sylvester Stallone's tie. I just looked it up. This was only his third film. He was okay, still Sly Stallone's third film. Yeah, yeah. Debt Race Two Thousand came after, so he was still making like shitty Roger Corman movies. So basically, you've got a guy, and he's made one film and one pornographic porn. film, <laughs> yeah. and he turns to you and he says, "Okay, guy, like this Richard Gear guy, he got like you know mustard all over my tie, <laughs> he got grease all over me." You were saying it was filmed at Coney Island? Yeah, yeah. Maybe he was just afraid, like Sylvester Stallone had like mob connections in New York and he was just like, okay, well, <laughs> this guy, I'm going to lose my head here. I'm going to be dropped into the Hudson River. Okay, well, um, uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> or you know what? Like, it's out, Richard Gere must be really unlikable if it was that easy of a decision to make. Well, you know, you but, just know that sometimes you respond badly to someone. And maybe it was just like, maybe it wasn't even that incident, but like, you know, it's the kind of thing that I know some people and they're, people are just looking for an excuse to fire them. Like they mm. come in late or they come in hungover and they're like, okay, this isn't a good enough reason. But like, you know, if anyone makes a complaint against this person, they're gone. Because maybe like Richard Gere, like running around in like a oversized leather jacket, you know. <laughs> punching yeah. people on set indiscriminately they're like you know we need just an excuse to get rid of this jerk yeah that's gotta be it so do you think stallone would have been the one responsible for the gerbil rumor you're just making the assumption that it's a rumor like you well, know uh, yes maybe maybe richard gear is living his own truth but uh what i would say is 
I think that, yeah, he stuck a gerbil up his ass. No, that does sound like something <laughs> Stallone would say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that does sound Or maybe probable. that's not what yeah. he said, but that's just how it sounded. I've come up with the, I think I've figured it out. I think I've kind of like joined the dots. So Arnold Schwarzenegger started the rumor to get back to kind of like, and they made it sound like it was Sylvester Stallone who started the rumor to cause more oh, trouble. That, that, that's very good. And it stopped that his mom will shoot. He's just like, hey, guess what? Slash Stallone's claiming that he shoved the gerbil up your ass. <laughs> so we should probably get back to the film because that was a huge tangent, but that an important one. I think that kind of says a yes, lot. Like That tells important. us a lot about Stallone. I think it tells us also a lot about John Spartan, his character. So, you know, he's riding in a helicopter to confront the bad guy because the bad guy has 30 hostages who have yeah. he's kidnapped. And, you know, I th- honestly think uh, the bad guy, uh, Simon Phoenix, has some pretty legit points that uh, Stallone bursts into his factory with a lot of, like, gunfighting, and he eventually runs into Simon Phoenix, and he says, look, he, he says, like, you know, where are the hostages? And Simon Phoenix says, look, the police don't come here, the, like mailman doesn't come here but for some reason the bus drivers just keep coming down here so i had to kidnap them <laughs> like those are some pretty dead those are some pretty dedicated bus drivers because like yeah you know when i was looking at you know the opening scene for all these cars it didn't look like there was an easy bus route through there that was my when they're in the helicopter and they say he's got a bus full of hostages that was my first thought it's like well in this in this version of la where are the buses going to and from any i, I do, do not believe there's any sort of public transportation in this world Is, isn't la itself like the actual la notorious for having no public transportation yeah like to get 30 people on a bus you know i'd say that like it's good for the movie speed but like a lot it's a it's i've heard it's very much a car city like it's not very good public transport they ripped up all the rail lines which is like there's a conspiracy about that's what the roger rabbit films are actually about but uh yeah no really oh yeah there's there's a weird link between the movie chinatown and the movie Roger Rabbit. And there's supposedly like a third film which links into it. And it's all about like the destruction of the LA Metro. Now, this oh. is something I read about three years ago. So don't quote me or ask me how this exists. But uh, supposedly it does exist. Uh, that sounds interesting though. That'd be a good episode of Scapegoat. Oh yeah, no, it's something I would definitely look into doing. But you know... How dedicated do you think bus drivers are? Because like we're in coronavirus at the minute. And I saw one bus and it was the Dublin to Derry bus. And, you know, it goes through my hometown. And uh, I was looking at it and it had a sole person on it, but the buses were still going. Now, that seemed the, like big dedication to me. <clears throat> but do you think yeah. in this post-apocalypse kind of like LA where there's rows and rows of burned out cars, would you really be driving to some like mall owned by some warlord? Well, geez, I don't know. I mean looking at those brave bastards that are continuing to work in like tesco for a similar wage like i've been in i've I've been in supermarkets in the last few weeks and those employees are putting up with just as much i think but i think yeah no gunfire might be where that'd be where you draw the line i mean you know maybe that these were like the earliest kind of like, you know, Instagram influencer types that were like, you know, oh, we've heard like this hostage situation's going down or we've heard like this is like a creepy warehouse owned by a warlord. 
let's go out and inst- interview them or like get some for the gram. Yeah. Like the earliest version of this that like, you know, they're just like social tourists who go yeah, out there. Yeah, that could very well be. <laughs> now, what happens here, of course, is like everything goes to shit. The, the phoenix blows up the building and kills the hostages. But, but they don't. But Sly Stallone doesn't think there's the hostages in the building because he's yeah. done a thermo scan. So he only yeah. sees uh, he only sees Phoenix and like eight bad guys. So he's just going in to interrogate him. But uh, Phoenix blows up the building. Yeah. So obviously, so that this is his plan from the beginning. Yeah. Why exactly? I, I might. I, I feel like I'm, I might be a dummy for not really understanding why. Like, did he want? Did it happen? Did everything pan out exactly as he wanted? Well, I mean, I kind of took it wasn't really that planned. That uh, basically, you when uh, when John Spartan goes into the room, you just see like uh, you just see uh, uh, Simon Phoenix behind a desk, just snorting cocaine, like mm. really nonchalantly, like not well, really caring. Yeah, and like he's, he's a mad dog, so he he doesn't really care. Yeah, like he doesn't seem to care a damn, and like he's in a room which seems increasingly like filling with kerosene is all over the floor yeah and you're like did he deliberately do that was that from the gunfire earlier but he's basically in a room which is dangerously filling up with kerosene fumes and he's just messing around i'd say he probably did have a plan but like i think that i think his plan was maybe more to lure john spartan to him rather than just to get captured by the police he kind of like him and john spartan seem to have a history going back about two years so maybe he was just like look I'm just taking these people in here from the bus and I'm going to try and get John here so, like, I can get rid of him. Yeah, well, that's my assumption. Like, yeah, that he he done it all to, to pretty much have John arrested because as we learn later in the film, and we kind of already know it because the line of, of Stallone doing the thermal scan, the hostages were obviously already dead and they're just in the basement. But it just seems like a weird plan that, like, this is, I, I can't kill... Uh, John Spartan so what I'm going to do is I'm going to frame him for letting these hostages die essentially because he even says when they're being arrested he says I told him you see, uh, I think that's about the second, hostages he said he didn't care I think that's kind of like a secondary plan I think that that's okay. like the backup I think the original one was to get John Spartan there and maybe for him to be get gunned down maybe for him to like be shot maybe for like something but I think it's just the way it is maybe he, he. I don't think that he thought that he was going to be kidnapped by the police. I don't mean kidnapped, but like arrested by the police. <laughs> that I think he kind of probably saw him having a way out. That he was trying to get Spartan there, but it was just things, circumstances, pretty much meant that uh, he was arrested. And then, kind of like you know, when you've got John Spartan's outside talking to like the police chief, who's being like you know. Yeah, this is like the tenth building you've blown up this week, demolition man. I'm gonna throw the book at you. He's like, but I do a good job, chief. Kind of like you know that kind of stuff. His response to that is brilliant. Where Stallone goes, yeah, but wasn't my fault this time, which suggests that all the other times he just blew shit up. Like, damn it, John. You know, if you blow up nine buildings, you don't get the tenth one for free. But you know, I'm. Uh, then what I kind of see is like, you know, he was still being outside trying to get like where are the hostages. And then when they find the bodies, like your man, of course, was just going to be like, oh, yeah, yeah. John Spartan knew about this all along. I'm just going to get him thrown into jail. Mm. 
Maybe. I, I feel like it's it's very planned, but like at the very least, I think he might be kind of like like the Joker, where he just has a plan for every scenario, maybe. Not a great plan, not like he's thought it through too much, but he's just like, because he's such a mad dog, that he doesn't really care what happens to him. So he'll always figure out a way to to win, I guess. Yeah, no, I'd say the Joker analogy is pretty good, that it's kind of like, uh, you know, he's just try he's just trying to like make a reaction happen like he seems like just like a sociopathic like you know crazy you know anarchist kind of guy he doesn't really care if he lives yeah. or dies but he's trying to cause as much mayhem as possible although he was kind of his position was that he was kind of just trying to lock down part of south central la and make it into his own kingdom seemed to have been yeah. his plan but like, you know, I took that there was the underlying thing. He just wanted John Spartan out of the way because John Spartan was the demolition man. And, you know. And it makes you wonder how, like, what their interaction was before. He says that he's been haunting them for two years or something. Yeah. But you'd wonder Maybe. how how he escaped him in, in their previous altercations. Well, like, this is the way I'd pitch it because there was supposed to be a, sequ- a prequel that was going to be made about that. But it never oh, really? Was. Yeah, oh, this I is back that. in the nineties. But uh, this is my pitch, right? You start off, and you've got Simon Phoenix, and he's a family man, and he's basically just chilling out in like a mall in LA, and you know he's got a, like you know beautiful daughter, beautiful wife, and then pretty much you know there's a guy upstairs, and he's in the parking lot, and he doesn't pay for his ticket, and he tries to get out of it. And then John Spartan turns up. Like it was a full demolition man. It's like, we need to stop this guy. And he ends up blowing up the mall, killing the Simon Phoenix's like <laughs> wife and kids. Simon Phoenix is like a relatively stable guy. So he's like takes this really badly and he kinda files like a civil lawsuit against the city, you know, to try and get money. But you know, things don't pan out. Then like, you know, about three months later, he is going out with, you know, his like parents-in-law you know like his wife's his dead wife's this here to try and help grieve and like you know he's trying to look after them and be really nice then again like you know wherever (laughs) they are there's a funeral parlor and then like you know someone tosses like a cigarette outside like you know they litter or something then john spartan turns up and ends up blowing up the funeral parlor wherever they are (laughs) so he just keeps loving like family family members keep dying but like you know you think at the start of the film that all the chaos in LA is caused by, you know, uh, Simon Phoenix has caused it, but you learn by the end of the film that he's it's just a, been a, driven a, crazy and all the destruction <laughs> is just via the demolition man. <laughs> a really bad job. Yes, yeah, like literally, literally the, the burnt out cars we were seeing in the opening. There, We see them in the closing of the prequel and John Spartan has just blown them up. Like he's blown them up for like you know, really really bad reasons. Your yeah, CO two emissions are down. down. <laughs> I thought you were going to pitch like a, a gritty a gritty prequel just called Phoenix, where it would end with him trying to get onto a chat show. Oh, like Joker or something? Yeah, yeah, pretty. Much. Oh, okay. Oh no, 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 no! I was just thinking, like you know, maybe it is all Demolition Man's fault because you know. His, his colleagues do seem fairly fed up with him. Like, you know, damn it, John, again? Yeah, well, they say that they regretfully passed down the sentence, but that could just be optics. Well, that was passed down by, like, uh, you know, he was the at the time the 
head, uh, the deputy person of the prison, what do you call him? The deputy warden of the prison was saying that. But he seemed like a bit of a kind of like supercilious character that he's just like, well, we regret this. But, you know, he seemed a bit, uh, you know, maybe like the not the most sincere character. Yeah. What do you think of the punishment in this world to cryogenically freeze them for, I think, 70 years is the sentence? Well, I mean, it's it's kind of like in a weird way, like what they used to do with criminals, you know, back in like England, that they would send people if they did crimes off to Australia. So it's kind of like, you know, we're not going to really punish you. We're just going to send you to a place that you can't really get back from and you don't know anyone. So you're just out of our hair. I mean, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a pretty bizarre crime, but it's kind of like you know, here we're not going to kill them, we're not going to stick them in jail, we're just going to freeze him. Like John's sentence was for killing thirty people or man aiding in the manslaughter of thirty people. He was jailed yeah. between nineteen ninety six to nineteen forty eight. So what's that? Fifty two years. Yeah, I mean. It seems pretty sadistic and, you know, it's a, it's a weird one. It's a weird one that like, I think that it makes for a good story, but in all honesty, doesn't really make practical sense. It's kind of like, no, what are we going to do with it? I mean, it kind of reminds me a wee bit of, do you remember the Colin, it's not the Colin, the Colin Farrell Minority Report. Report. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. What's in in that, it's a life sentence where you're just, you're put into stasis and you're essentially, you're beamed your ideal world. So you, you essentially are just put in a box and go to heaven, like plugged into a computer program yeah so you don't know what's happening i can't remember if that turns out to be bullshit in the film or not <clears throat> but well, in an arty report well you know if you learn the lessons that they learned from the first matrix when they tried to make it a paradise it'll end up being a crappy enough place yeah yeah but it's just interesting that uh, in demolition man it's not even a life sentence like they're frozen with the potential they're, they're paroled like that's why wesley snipes is woken up he, he's woken up for his parole well that's the, that's the thing that confuses me because demolition man uh john spartan he's like sentenced he can't be paroled until 2048 but 16 yeah. years earlier than that you've got uh wesley snipes's character <laughs> simon phoenix is up for parole and i thought why is he getting paroled so early yeah I guess because um, Spart- John Spartan is a lawman, it was they see that as worse. But like, why he wouldn't be up for parole? Yeah, that's beyond me. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm taking that maybe and this is going later into the story. Maybe someone like rigged it so he'd be up for parole early. Maybe it was kind of like maybe he was supposed to be for a hundred years, but maybe someone with uh, machinations in the background helped them get out yeah. early. But how do you, or maybe like, because there's no good behavior because you can't really tell what's, what's happening with them. Or maybe there is, maybe there's something like that. The, oh, this person is actually taken to the program quite well. So, and somebody could mess with that. Well, what so they get do him up is, for early parole. What they, what they do as a kind of, with the parole is when you're put into the stasis, you're pretty much like frozen in liquid nitrogen almost. would be the way yeah. I describe it. But what they do is they program, they give you a chip once you get out and it gives you certain skills. So for people who like, you know, criminals, the skills that they try and offer them are things that like they instinctively would have been good at. 
So, for instance, John Spartan, Sylvester Stallone's character, had an inert, like, skill at knitting that he didn't actually yeah. know. But, like, they learned that he was good at knitting, so they gave him this. So, like, as a coping mechanism. So maybe that they just simply said, okay, it's been so many years, we figured out this person would be really good at pool, so we'll program that into a more, like, being, you know, squash or basketball or whatever, yeah. you know. Well, you know, what they do have is they've got, like, metal diodes, so they've got one on like you know their uh pectoral and like another one on their stomach or they've got one on their head as well don't they so maybe that yeah, gives yeah. like programming messages when they're like asleep people can just send messages and like electrically program some something because i was saying earlier like how i remembered most of this film but the one thing that i did like misremember was i actually taught in the finale in the big face-off in my memory, I thought there was something where Stallone was getting his ass handed to him and then he upgraded his chip mid-fight and there was this moment where he just blocks a punch and then suddenly knows martial arts. I think I was just confusing it with another film, but... You see, that's almost like, you know, in The Matrix where they kind of like just upload something to him so he's suddenly, I know mm. Kung Fu or he's able to do that, but I don't remember that in the film and again, there's certain scenes in the film that I've got good memories for yeah no i completely made it up like but if 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 a few weeks ago before i'd rewatched it you were to ask me how demolition man ended that would be what i'd have said i just was certain that that's where it would have went you know that would have made that kind of would have made sense for this but like the thing is without giving spoilers i always kind of felt that even with the upgrades because i always felt that uh, john spartan mostly had the upper hand yeah yeah he did but like, just to say that when Simon Phoenix is released, is up for parole, he has gained certain modifications. Yeah. That uh, he's gained certain modifications that he knows the password, how to get out of the, out of his restraints. And, you know, and he's doing some serious uh, Kung Fu on the guards in the prison that like, you know, yeah, yeah. he seemed like he was an okay fighter before this, but like, he seems to have gone from like, you know, blue belt to black belt, kind of like he seems a lot better than he was. Yeah, like I guess because we've been going quite a bit so we can kind of skip it along. We, it, it's pretty clear, well like once he's let out, we know, the audience knows full well, well obviously somebody in the prison, somebody involved in the prison system or in this world wants him out. We know that it's a, there's a conspiracy afoot. yes. That like, you know, he seems to be, he seems to have like, he doesn't consciously know what's going on, but he's got an inert feeling of what to do in the situation. Mm. So he gets out of the prison and he starts, uh, he starts getting rid of people and you zoom into the police, modern day police station these days. So you've got the head policeman who is uh, the, who is the warden from uh, Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And then... You've got the main uh, female cop who's played by Sandra Bullock. Her name is Huxley. And they're kind of just watching on in horror. as Simon Phoenix goes out and he starts wrecking downtown LA like he had previously done before. Yeah. And what it's called, his crime, what it's called in this world is murder, death, kill. Yeah. MDK. Because like there hasn't been any like, you know, there hasn't been any murder, death, kills as they've called for the last 16 years. So when the code 187 comes up on the computers to say like, you know, what he's been doing, 
people are shocked. It's like, I've never heard of that code. What is it? Yeah, My yeah. God, it's a murder death kill. <laughs> Do you think like that's a better name than homicide? I Well, I think it's a fantastic name for a metal band or an album at least. It kind or, of reminds me a bit of, uh, you know, Hammer Smash Face by, uh, what is it? Cannibal Corpse. That's such a violent title. I like it. Yeah. But you know, you could imagine like the B-sides to that murder, death, kill. Yeah. And we be, you mentioned Huxley there, Sandra Bullock's character. She's, her full name's Lena Huxley. So it's a, it's a double reference to Brave New World. It's a character and yeah. the author combined. So, you know, of course, you know, the character is named after the famous Iron Maiden album, Brave New World, which uh, <laughs> then had the album was novelized into uh, by Otis Huxley. So uh, it became uh, Brave New World. So that's why she's named after the album, which was named, which the book, which was named after the album. So uh, I, I think we, we might we might have to, to verify that. I, th- I think I think you might be wrong there, but but I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, you know, I think Otis, I think uh, Huxley saw basically, you know, the album cover. He saw Ed in the sky over London, like a futuristic London. And I thought, <laughs> so I'm going to make this, a book based on that. This Aldous Huxley guy, did he just like nick all of his ideas from rock bands? I think, you know, I think basically... Because I believe he didn't, he wrote a book after The Doors, the band The Doors, he took their name for for a book too, I believe. I think that's true that like, you know, I think, you know, if Jim Morrison was to see this, like, you know, he would be shocked and he would uh, take them to uh, jail and sue them. Like, you know, I haven't heard of Jim Morrison in years, but like, I hope he's doing all that. (laughs) I think he's fine. He's in Paris somewhere. He hasn't moved really, but... I was just going to mention there's a few actors pop up in Demolition Man that um, I didn't actually remember. I guess I didn't know who to wear when I would have seen it as a teenager. Oh, what's the, who's the actor? The guy that he answers the phone in it. He's just like a bit of comic relief. Rob Schneider? Rob Schneider. I just, I could not remember his name. I was also in Judge Dredd with Sly Stallone. So there's a connection. Oh, is he? I didn't realize that. Yeah. I just remember Rob Schneider kind of popping up like in Adam Sandler films, I didn't know he was knocking around this early in these type of films. Yeah, no, I think... Is he in Home Alone 2 as well? Yes, he is yeah. like, he's with the he's concierge the, who's Tim yeah, Curry. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's one of those people that, this might sound weird, but a very young Billy Crystal and, uh, you know, Rob Schneider, I can get confused very easily. Yeah, yeah. But like... Well, that's probably well, why I didn't remember him. The thing about Rob Schneider is... If you actually look at a lot of these films like Judge Dredd, I think he's appeared in a couple of Arnold Schwarzenegger films as well. That he kind of was just like one of those guys who would just like appear in these sort of action films yeah. as like the goofy kind of sidekick. He's because I know like he's notoriously bad. He makes like notoriously bad movies. But in these type of movies, these type of roles, he's he's great. Like he, he's maybe not great. Maybe great's too generous of a word. But, you know, he just suits these kind of sidekick sort of roles. Yeah, no, it's the same as like another person who appears in this film is Jack Black. And I oh, always yeah. like, I always like Jack Black as a kind of like, you know, if he's like co-starring like in High Fidelity or he's kind of like got a bit part, I mm. always really like Jack Black. But it's like, if you have a full on Jack Black's the lead, like I liked him in School of Rock, but the rest is just a bit too much for me. Yeah, yeah. No, he's good as like The Rock's best friend in an action yeah. movie or something. Yeah, I mean, like, that's just the way I would treat it. But, like, you know, I think Rob Schneider was fairly good. I'm trying to think, is there anyone else in the police station you'd recognize? 
like apart from Sandy Bullock because like this is her first role I think yeah I didn't realize that that's amazing yeah that like you know it was somebody else was supposed to be cast and they had a falling out with the director and got fired after two days perhaps we're about <laughs> to like you know eating half a chicken <laughs> perhaps it was perhaps as you say it was in the back of a like warmed up Toyota <laughs> I wonder, like, does Stallone still get angry when he sees people? Like, if if you were, say, we, we were interviewing Stallone for a new movie and we showed up, we were both, like, sitting across from him with half a chicken each. Like, would he just Slavered fly, fly into a rage? Like, you know, maybe maybe you'd just do that and he'd be just like, hey, Johnny, you ever been to a pet store? <laughs> That's what you should do. Like, anytime, anytime you hear a weird rumor about somebody, just go and check if they were ever fired from a film with Stallone. And then you'll know if it's true or not. Speaking about people that, uh, speaking about people who have dodgy histories and a lot of rumors are going around, that uh, in Huxley's office, she's proves that she's a bit of a like obsessed with the 20th century, particularly the 1990s, because you know she shows this by like the fact she's got a Red Hot Chili Peppers poster, and of course mm-hmm. she's got the premier uh, 20th century film Lethal Weapon up on the wall as well. Yes, which is automatically yeah. what I think of when I think of the 90s. You know, as, so, as a police officer working in LA, I can't think of a person that you'd admire more than Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, never thought of that. That's, that's brilliant. It is interesting too that like for a woman so obsessed with the 90s, all her 90s references come from the first two years of the 90s it's like in this version oh, yes, like, like nothing was created well i guess la was in shit by 1996 so there was nothing happening yeah she's well, obsessed you know, with she, a two-year period like she's very very specific like specific that she's just <laughs> like you know look anything that happened after rodney king i don't care about <laughs> like i've just i've just got an automatic blank on this it's just like here, like you're 30 years old and like you were born in 2003. Do you care about any of that stuff? No. So 1991 and the first parts of 1992. Here's the thing too that's funny. So anyway, they, they wake Stallone up because the idea is to, to catch a maniac. You need to send a maniac and the cops can't deal with Phoenix. So they need to, they need somebody from his time somebody who who understands them so to wake him up and then and we get into this whole sort of fish out of water when the sleeper wakes kind of scenario of just alone just being confused by this new world basically that he's woken up and he's like put me back in the fridge but like they managed to cajole him into like no you need to take down your nemesis and he's like okay you persuaded me in 30 seconds <laughs> yeah it is very quickly but right. what i find now i'm skipping ahead a little or a good bit and we can get back after yeah but there's a point in this film like the first sort of time they have an altercation in in the modern world they're in like a, a museum because phoenix goes there because yeah. there's this whole thing like where do you get a gun in 2032 or whatever yeah 2032 because you know guns yeah. anything that's bad for you is illegal now so he goes to a museum yeah. and in the museum and there's all these monuments of how people lived in in the, in the 90s but this film isn't set that far into the future like we there's people there's people that were alive in 1996 still working for the police department yeah it's, it's not 36 like it's, years yeah it, it's not this lost culture like we know how people lived in the 70s without like having to go to a museum to see it like like let's think back like 36 years ago was what 1984 yeah okay i mean like here i mean 
I don't think I would be, I wasn't born in 1984, but like, I don't think if you showed me an Apple Mac two, I would just be like, what is this mysterious device? What is this <laughs> long like, lost culture? Now I know that there, the excavation is happening because we hear in like when Stallone wakes up, we hear that his family or at least his wife died in the big one, which is the the big one refers to the San Andreas fault. Uh, so it's an earthquake and you know it's long been predicted that there will eventually be an earthquake called the big one that will that could destroy Los Angeles so that obviously happened and yeah, buried a lot of the city so that obviously can... buried a lot of the city so that'd be why there's excavations going on but yeah. they wouldn't lose culture but I kind of also make sense because like you've got the head of police department and it's maybe about 20 people like this is yeah. the main precinct of like, and it's not Los Angeles because they've got like Santa Barbara, yeah. San Diego, San, Santa, Santa Barbara and LA become. Yeah, yeah, San Angeles. So St. Angels. So it makes perfect sense in uh, Spanish. But uh, yeah. But, but you think about this. So so the big one in this film happened in 2010. And yeah. It's now 2032. So it's a few years off, but around it, it not too different than the distance we're now living in from like 9-11 yes but they have completely a lot of the people in this world have forgotten about it'd be like if we didn't if we had to be told what 9-11 was i guess is what i'm trying to say no but like it kind of shocks me because like let's say how old do you think you'd have to be to remember culture like of like the society you're in so let's say you're not going to remember it when you're five that well. So let's say, what what age would you say was a good age that you'd recall quite a lot of stuff that's going on? Twelve? Yeah, yeah. Fifteen? Let's say, let's be ultra, let's say 14, just to make mathematical sense. That means right. basically everyone who's 50 and older would remember that. And that would be like a, I understand a lot of people went out with the, the big one. But like, there's a lot of characters here who are clearly in their 50s. Like, there's people in the precinct in their 50s. There'd be a sizable amount of people there who would clearly know what was going on. Yeah, and also, I, I understand how the big one would could have played a part in this drastic shift in LA and, and just California. But like, there's still a, an entire other country. I kind of always got this weird thing that like, in America, especially if you're from uh, New York or California... You just kind of like view a lot of the rest of it as flyover states. Yeah, so you could yeah. have you could have just someone like neighboring by in like New Mexico or something like that. And they're just like, oh yeah, no, 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 we're just living a perfect society. It's like all this sort of stuff. Why do you have all those goofy cars? We're just driving like normal sedans around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, they just look at these people and think, look, look, California's always been a bit weird, but they've just gone completely <laughs> freaky. We'll leave them alone. Well, I don't think it's stated in the film, but I assume it's like in escape from la where the big one because the big one happens in that too and that's what causes the california to split from the mainland or la at least to split from the mainland yeah no that's what i i would assume that it's an island because it would make so little sense that like oh we're this futuristic thing here that you just suddenly imagine that like you know you'd have some like people just be like hey we're from out of state we're from like, new jersey <laughs> yeah. we drove you hey take a picture of me demolition man hey we don't believe in your laws <laughs> <laughs> of course they'd be from jersey <laughs> you know there there was a kind of there was a film i forget i think it was harrison ford that like he was living with the amish as like uh was it called oh, the witness? witness yeah witness, yeah. yeah i done that for my leaving cert i think 
the way I could kind of see this scenario would be you'd have a bunch of people from like the non-pacifist United States just going there and just being jerks because they know people wouldn't react. <laughs> just shoving the ice cream in their face. Yeah. <laughs> just being jerks just for the sake of it. Like, hey, I'm on the out of town. Hey, <laughs> look at you jerk face. <laughs> That was, wasn't that that was parodied in the Simpsons with Homer where yeah. he's just bullying the Amish and just like sticking ice creams all over like a donkey yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god so that, that's just the way I imagine because like this society as you say they're do, they're doing uh, they can't do anything that's bad for them so they've got they're like no fatty foods no salt no uh, no no like contact sports yeah that they're not allowed to have physical contact with each other so it's kind of like you don't wave you don't talk you don't say hello which is very coronavirus but like you're not allowed to like do anything that swaps fluids like all abortions are illegal uh if you get a few baby sorry well that's why i wanted to do this episode because i do think that you know it's never explicitly stated but i think the uh writer might have knew something about what was coming and actually based this in a world set after coronavirus. Because when you think about it, we uh, one of the big sort of stories that came out of the whole coronavirus pandemic was the, the panic buying and how people treated toilet roll. Like, you know, people just went crazy and bought all the toilet roll and then there was people left without. But in this world, that clearly happened at some point because they their solution was to replace the toilet roll with the with the three seashells. Yeah. I mean, like, it does add up that, like, you know, they got rid of this. They had to have no toilet paper because, like, some greedy people were hoarding it. And mm. uh, then pretty much from that there, they're just, they had to resort to free seashells, which, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, Sylvester Stallone wrote up on the IMDB page describing how to use them. Wait, what? Is this true? <laughs> this is true. Sylvester Stallone, according to the IMDb page, gave an interview where he explained how to use the free seashells. <laughs> Do you want to know? Yeah. Basically, you hold two like chopsticks and you remove whatever you want with the third. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's it's not a it's not a good image. Maybe that maybe that interview was faked by Richard Gere to get his own back. I was just waiting for it to, to him to work it dig into Richard Gere, like how you use them is I don't know. Richard Gere holds them for you or something. Yeah, well, I mean, let's put it this way: that if rumors are true, Richard Gere might not need to use uh, toilet paper; he might have something else. So often, sorry, he could use it. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break there while I uh, try and find a solicitor and just just make sure Richard Gere can't sue us. But uh, yeah, depending on where you are in the world, you might not even hear any ads here. But either way, we'll be right back. But, but yeah, and you mentioned it too. We also have that they don't touch each other in in the world of Demolition Man. Even for high fives, they, they kind of do it in the air, kind of. They they kind of fake a high five yeah. and then stop just before they touch um and you know that's something we're we're being told now you know not to touch each other wash your hands and all that yeah so do you think that uh the way that this has led to like a softness in society that like you know they've got rid of all sports and stuff like that which is currently going on and you know 
they've got rid of certain things that you can't have because you know if you go down to the supermarkets today they're not going to prioritize things like beer and cigarettes they're just going to give like food so i could imagine like i was told by a girl at asda today when i was picking up groceries that uh that she heard a rumor that the Republic was going to ban all alcohol within the next week. Really? So this is, but look, you wouldn't look. This is someone from Northern Ireland. There's a lot of people in Northern Ireland who view the Republic as kind of like this weird sort of like place that you can just like alternative alternative reality. You can just make up really bad dumb lies about. That's amazing. And like, would you, and she genuinely would, but she like, genuinely believe believed it. it. That's like, incredible. But she simply said, like, you know, she said conspiratorially, oh, we've heard that Leo is going to be, like, banning all alcohol here. And I'm just like, you know, you know, maybe, maybe like, you know, she's an Nostradamus. Maybe you'll be getting me on the podcast next week to be, like, oh. interviewing Asda lady, just to be like, you know, what's happening next? Yeah. But I can't imagine the Irish government in this time of crisis banning alcohol. <laughs> I just can't. I imagine, like, they need it for the economy at the moment, too, like... Oh, no, but like the way I kind of see it is that, uh, look, there's a lot of people at home and there are countries like places in northern France, they have banned selling alcohol because of like uh, stop like domestic disputes and stuff yeah, going on. Yeah. But, you know, I think it would be crazy. I think you'd cause a huge amount of resentment because people can't go to the pubs. They can't do this. So a lot of people are just like, look, here, I just want to have like a beer. And just like, if you got rid of that, I think that would cause a huge panic buying of people rushing out to get all of that. That's the, the main reason I think they won't. Like, I think it would just be crazy. Because, like, that's all that happened. People would flood the off-licenses. And it would, any, any idea of social distancing would vanish. Yeah. So in this world, like, linking this demolition, man, we now have no sports, okay? Imagine if they suddenly say, okay, well... We have to prioritize certain food. So we can't sell you like high processed food anymore because it's too hard to transport. We can only sell you fresh meat and vegetables. And the meat's a wee bit tricky to get because they don't eat meat there. Could you imagine a society that we slowly phase that like just what you're allowed is what you're given and you're kind of rationed onto stuff and then you'd slowly not have like meat or dairy or salt or beer? Yeah, well, I can do certain certain stuff. I could actually see that happening with not not realistically, but in a in an extreme scenario in in the the possible like dystopian world. Like I could see something like meat, especially with coronavirus, for example. You know, it, it's it's spread from an animal. At some point, it's made the jump, probably at a, a wet market or whatever. And like like that happens with viruses where they're spread. There's having dead meat with living animals and stuff. If this if things like this become really common and and things get really bad and a lot of people die, I could see them like just starting to try and phase out meat if they have a, a substitute anyway. Well, you know, I could kind of see it as well. And like you know, in the kind of weird way that you know, in the weirdest way, I'm thinking that you know the way that. Who was the person before coronavirus who everyone was seeing everywhere at all times? Just to see if it's the same zeitgeist as you have. Um, Greta Thunberg? Yes, Greta Thunberg. So she was saying like all the stuff about climate change and people weren't really doing stuff. But via coronavirus and people not driving cars and doing this, 
Like if beef production was down 50% and people aren't driving cars 50% less, that mm. will have done more to stop climate change than she'll have done. Like if you were a conspiracy guy of sorts, you might suddenly believe that like here, that we might've suddenly had a peak number in climate that like, you know, they might be like, okay, we need to slow this down. So coming up with a crisis to stop all the Western world and like, you know, from driving cars and consuming things might be just a way to slow things down for a moment when things are getting a bit hot. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and that's something I've genuinely been wondering about now. Like, will now that people are have no choice but to work from home, which also is something that is in the Demolition Man. We see a lot of like work being done via uh, conference calls. Like a lot of people don't seem to come yeah. into the office anymore. But I wonder now, will will companies see, and I think I, we even talked about this before on a previous podcast, will people see that, oh, people can do as much work from home. We don't need to, we don't need to have a 20-story building and 3,000 employees working in it. We just need one office block with 10 employees and the rest just working from home. And, you know, then you don't, you don't have to drive to work every morning and burn those emissions. Well, I think the way things are going to go is this, that I think a lot of people during this time are going to end up saving a lot of money via working from home. Mm. But like, I can see like, there is going to be certain expenses you're going to be doing, but you know, there's a lot of people who'd go out and they wouldn't bring a packed lunch with them or do that. So they'd be spending money during the day. Like, I don't know about you, but like, if you'd be go, do you work from home or? Mostly, but yeah, I, yeah. I'll normally, br- I, 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 if I'm, when I'm not working from home, I always end up buying lunch because I'm just forgetful. I'll, yeah. I'll like think to do the packed lunch for the first two days of the week. And then by Wednesday, I forget and I end up eating out. Like, you know, I'd say that like, if you were working in an office like me and I'm traveling, that like, I would be traveling to my work uh, five days a week. And it's about 25 miles there and 25 miles back. So I'm spending maybe about the equivalent of maybe 80 euros of diesel a week yeah and maybe slightly less than that and then i go out there and you know if you've got co-workers and they're all saying oh we're going to burrito loco to get a burrito yeah, you're just yeah. a bit like oh well like i do have sandwiches but like you know <laughs> this sounds like crack i'd say like mm. there's a way that i'm looking at this that i could easily be saving maybe like you know 120 euros a week just via working from home yeah, yeah. I'd say that there's also kind of like, as you're saying, there's companies that like people that they're working with that they'll be looking at now and thinking, actually, this actually somehow increased our profits. Maybe it's better to just let people work at home and, you know, install yeah. whatever like software that they want so they can observe when you're using your laptop or something if they're really yeah, kind yeah. Of dicks towards you. Realistically, like if, if people aren't being as productive from home, like they're just they're not going to keep their job for long. Like, so I know like people can slack when they're in work, but most employees are just going, are going to get the job done because they want to keep, they want to keep their job. They want to get a promotion. They want to work their way up in your company. Like it's in their best interest to to do the job no matter where they are. Obviously there's loads of companies that can't operate like that, but. Where I work, we don't have any managers because like, I suppose the way it works is like, I would be, Myself and the other person in my department would be equals and nobody else in the building is higher than us. They're all equal to us. So like mm. an awful lot of like when you're at work because you don't have someone there, you actually get an awful, you do an awful lot of chatting or talking about the football or talking yeah, about the yeah. weekend or all this sort of stuff. 
And I kind of found myself in a strange way that I'd contact my colleague and we'd do like a meeting at like nine to 10 each morning. And you'd kind of do a bit of that chat and you'd plan out the day. But then like, because you're not having distractions every so often, you know, you can, you can still find it like, you know, oh, I got the work that I normally do by five done by three. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, it can just work well. I'd say like there is a good future that, you know, I think especially in Ireland with so much of like the money centralized on Dublin that I remember Shane saying, look here, if you could, if he could head out of like where he's currently living and head somewhere else, like, you know, out towards like Kildare or Louth or, yeah. like, you know, West Meath or like, you know, somewhere that you could be close enough if you needed to go in one day, but you didn't have to be living, you know, within the M50, I'd say you'd be happy enough. Oh, yeah. Because you'd be, you'd be saving that much more money. Yeah, like a, a lot of people, like there's certain industries, like if you work in the tech industry now in Ireland, you need to live in Galway or Dublin. But the work you're doing, you're just going in and sitting at a desk on a computer and doing work you could do from Roscommon, you know, <laughs> or up yeah, the Wicklow no, Mountains. Like, like. like my cousin works in the industry, in the tech industry, and he's doing work that like he's going into an office. And basically he asked about like three or four months ago, could he work from home in Cork? Like, you know, which would be his hometown or city or ever before I get all the Cork boys on me. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he basically said, like, can I do this? And they kind of like were like a bit, oh, we don't really like you doing this. Could you stay two days in the office? But from what I understand, like, you know, he did it for a bit and they're like, oh, well, it actually works out. It's fine. You work from Cork because like, you know, yeah. I think it just makes more sense. Yeah, like, I mean, I've done, like, I've done work, like, video editing work for people I've never met in real life. Like, that's how easy it is. But yeah, I've also, like, turned down jobs where they wanted me to travel, like, where they, they, they didn't want it done remotely. It had to be in the office. And it was like, oh, so I have to travel, like, two hours there and back every day. So that's four, for like, four hours of my day gone for work i'm not even being paid for it's just like i can't i can't like lose that time because imagine that yeah. imagine how much more freer people would be if they didn't have to do the hour commute every morning they could right. they'd just be fitter you could replace that hour with recreational time you could work out for an hour every morning instead well that's kind of like this position i'm in now johnny is kind of like i was traveling down to inniskillen from uh oma like which is a 45 minute drive every day and back so i was losing an hour and a half each day so I was having mm. to go to work at like eight o'clock or eight fifteen to be there for nine. And now like instead of having to get up at like seven fifteen, I can get up at eight o'clock. And it's just like and I don't have to travel home. And it just makes, you know, the day so much handier. Cause rather than working like, you know, from really you're leaving the house close to eight and you're getting back close to six, that you're just doing like, okay, this is nine to five and it is nine to five. It's not really it's not that you're doing eight hours but it's really 10 yeah it's yeah. eight hours and it suits me grand you see the thing the, the opposite side of that is like what companies like google do like they provide everybody you know the way google in every country they operate they run shuttle buses for employees you have wi-fi on them and stuff and it sounds great it's like okay you don't have to worry about transport and you have a nice bus with a table and stuff on it but the idea is that nobody everybody at google wants to get into a room together they just talk business or they they have some project they're working on and it means that you just start work before you actually get to work you start work when you're on the shuttle bus with all the other employees because everybody's trying well, to stay that ahead towards your company. working day 
I don't think so. No, it's just like, it's kind of like a trick to get people working early. I'll be honest that like, I, I find maybe this is a weird thing to say. I kind of find driving to work a little bit cathartic because it's my night podcast is because like the drives, you know, 45 minutes to sometimes being about 50 if traffic. And that's like a length that like some podcasts can be, or you yeah. listen to like something that's two hours, which is there and back. You'll be listening, having breakfast, and then you'll stop and you'll be going on the way back. But like, you know, I just think that that can be, you know, I think that's quite cathartic to drive that. Yeah, yeah. I I just misheard you the first time and I thought you said, that's where you podcast. And in my head, I thought, wait, you record your podcast while driving. I was like, but you like, you like write, you like have notes. And I just pictured you like reading a script with like a blue yay on your dashboard. Just recording a podcast, the most dangerous podcast in the world. Look, That'd you be know, a great can, tagline. Uh, can I admit to something to you that like, you know, those like Hawaiian bobbleheads? Yeah. I kind of customized one with just the head of a blue Yeti microphone bobbing to and fro as I'm driving. And then like, you know, I kind of got so many post-its all around the car that I'll just be like, okay, what am I talking about today? Okay, today I'm talking about like the Chinese Taiwanese scandal about like some K-pop star who was, tra- who was doing this or whatever I'm talking about. And then I'm just looking at this and like, and her name was, oh God, there's a turn. Look at the reviewer. Her name was this, and she was part of this band, and this happened. Oh, God, it's such a scandal. And then, like, you know, swerving all around the room. <laughs> like, you know, if you ever hear, like, horn noises in the background of my podcasts, like, you know, you know I've been doing some bad driving, Johnny. Like, when you set up a Patreon account, that'd be a good joke. So you give access to unedited versions of the podcast, but you edit in stuff instead. So you have, like, where you have to stop stop reading your script to, like, pay a toll boot fee or whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, there, I do find that kind of, like, it is driving, actually, for whatever reason, makes me more productive. I think... In a strange way, it would almost be a good medium to podcast in if you had like a soundproof yeah. car. When we went camping that time, me and Shane recorded an episode from the car that we never uh, put up. So I might actually throw it up on Patreon. But like, you know, was the problem with the audio or like the type of yeah. crack you had? Or? No, no, we we just kind of done it. We just decided out of nowhere to do it. So I left. Uh, we only recorded it through my phone, I think. And it was actually all right. It was just, it was left on the dashboard. So it was kind of, there was a bit of a vibration and there was no real context for the episode. We kind of just recorded it in case we ever like set up a Patreon, but it was so long ago. We took ages to set one up and I pretty much forgot about it until this very moment. So, well, you know, I think that those sort of episodes work well. It's kind of like, uh, there's certain sorts of things that you just sometimes take a risk and you'll do, but like, I think certain spaces do help people think that like, you know, like, uh, yeah. you know, if you're doing a podcast and, you know, you're talking to someone and maybe if you, may, would you find like if you're podcasting, if Shane came around to yours or you went around to Shane's like at different points, or I remember you podcasted in the cafe once or twice, did you do yeah. sort of different content because you kind of got a different sort of vibe around it? Yeah, I think so. I think like when we've done that, those stuff from the cafe, they were much more just conversational chats like we didn't really have a topic because it's hard to sort of sit down and you know go through notes and stuff if you're recording in that environment yeah i mean like well it's no difference then it's it's very different recording a podcast like this for me than it is sitting in the same room 
they seem more much more laid back because it's almost like a phone conversation and it's hard to like an episode like this it'd be very or recording an episode like this over the internet it'd be very hard to do a topic like i don't know the matrix where you're going to actually get into simulation theory yeah no i think that i'd kind of agree with that you can just sometimes get different vibes from different people different spaces and i think that's kind of very interesting sometimes the way you can just be like okay i'm going to record this in a different room or a different colored room and you know you can be like reading a note and it could be like uh, John Simpson opened the first Toys R Us in 1945. And then everyone would be like, hey, dudes. So there's this guy, John Simpson, and he opened the first Toys R Us. But like the thing you have to realize about Toys R Us is the giraffe. And the giraffe is called Jeffrey, and he's a complete bastard. And he runs down, like, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know. <laughs> because, like, you know, you're just like, oh, I'm the fall on this note. Yeah, yeah. You know, you'd have a very different vibe if you just, every time you recorded a podcast, you and your co host were like, I don't know, fishing. But it was like a, an MMA podcast. It'd have a very strange feel. You're talking about like this violent, exciting sport, but you're fishing while doing it. So you'd have, you'd be way too laid back. Leading back to Demolition Man, that uh, what we were just talking there was, before we went on to that, was we were talking about like the free seashells and how that linked into coronavirus. Yes, that, and, I, I, I was glad you remembered that because I, I was sitting there waiting for you to... Yeah. I was like, I can't remember where we were. I hope he does. Yeah. And, you know, we were just saying that, like, a lot of the technology in... Uh, I actually was very impressed by a lot of the technology that, that there's a lot of people walking around with things that look like iPads. Now, they've got a big silver mm. frame, like a photograph from, like, the 90s, yeah, yeah. but it does look like a tablet. And then they've got, like, conversations that you've got, like, exhibits swinging around and they can see you. And it's like, you know, I think there was an awful lot that they got right. That, like, I think that they did an awful lot of good predictions about the technology and the way it worked yeah yeah there was actually they got a lot right about the technology i think socially they got a lot right too like i don't think intentional because i don't think they could have you'd actually have to have a crystal ball but have you ever heard of the a youtuber um i'm blanking on his name he's like the angry video game nerd but he nostalgia critic yeah nostalgia critic yeah no i would have i used to watch doug for a while but i think i saw his review but i didn't watch it today okay i watched that just because i was curious what other people thought and he just had a good it was a good joke but he was also kind of right that uh he he talked about the the world that they predict that you know where everybody's easily offended and all, he, he pretty much said it's it's a world ruled by Tumblr. But then he compared the scraps, the people living underground, to 4chan, which I thought was a good sort of analogy for the world. Yeah, no. I mean, just to explain to people who the scraps are, is later on in the story that you've we learned that you've got the people above the ground who are privileged and are very like hoity-toity and just like they don't touch each other and they're very easily offended. And the scraps are underground led dwellers led by Dennis Leary, who uh, basically... Oh, no, I think it's... They Bill love Hicks, their... Fr- oh, Sorry, okay. I was trying to make a bad joke. Oh, well, you know, if you wanted to hear a bad joke, you just listen to Dennis Leary. But the thing is... <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> the thing is that, uh, that they're all underground, but they love their freedom. And, you know, they're not going to put up with anything like that. And, like, you know, their freedom like even if they're being in the gutter so i can see a kind of like 4chan metaphor yeah they're very they're very like particular about like you know look we need to protect our freedom and like freedom is above comfort and you know very what the americans would call first amendment people 
Yeah, like he gives that whole speech about I want to eat cheeseburgers and smoke Cuban cigars and all this. Yes, but you know, again, it was better when Bill Hicks had done it before in uh, <laughs> the movie uh, Days of Thunder, which had come out the year before when he gave the exact same speech. <laughs> and I liked it even less when uh, Louis C.K. gave it in uh, I Love You, Daddy, which came out in 2008. <laughs> Just to link the story to where we were. So what we'd previously mentioned was uh, Simon Phoenix, played by Wesley Snipes, goes into a museum to get a gun. He very easily gets a gun and he's confronted by uh, he's confronted by John Spartan and they have a bit of a clash and uh Things uh, go John Spartan's way, but uh, Phoenix escapes with a load of guns just to lead up mm. to this. Then Phoenix runs into the head of the city, who's like the head of a corporation when he's fleeing, and he tries to shoot him, but he can't. And the head of the corporation says, you need to assassinate uh, Edgar Friendly. And it shows a picture of Dennis Leary. And for some reason, Wesley Snipes can't shoot the leader. And yeah, it's then pretty much program, he's scared away by John Spartan. And the leader of the city decides to invite John Spartan to Taco Bell. Or Pizza Hut, depending on which version you, you've seen. Well, I rented it off uh, YouTube last night and it was Taco Bell for me. Oh, okay. I I illegally downloaded it and it was Pizza Hut. I actually have it on DVD and I couldn't get it to play. So I was oh, like, okay, I got, I, I got to legally download this. You see, I had I'd watched it years ago from the Irish version where it was Abra Cababra, but like you know, <laughs> would it not be Supermax? It well, if it's Republic, the, the Republic version would be. Uh, but there's Supermax in Derry. Is there? Yeah, there's Supermax oh. up in Derry by uh, Foilside. Like I don't know about it in Belfast, but like it's certainly west of the band. Yes, I don't. I don't know I think, how 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 we allowed that. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that you have to look at it in this way that Donegal has an awful lot of things that Northern Irish in it and Derry and Tyrone have an awful lot of things from the Republic yeah. in them. Same for Fermanagh. So it's kind of like, you know, they're kind of like crossover counties. But uh, yeah, no, you could find maybe Supermax in that version. But in this version, Taco Habel or Pizza Hut seems a bit more of a upscale deal. Because like, if you can imagine the head, imagine you save the head of the city. So imagine... You somehow save Leo Varadkar, and he invites mm. you to Supermax. <laughs> That's so stupid. I love it. Yeah. Okay. What would be your response, right? You'd run into Leo Varadkar and Simon Coveney, and they're being chased down by um, your podcasting nemesis. Okay. Uh, have you got a podcasting nemesis yet? No, I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to find one, but. I tried to bait Sam Tripoli into being, Tripoli, but it didn't yeah. really work out. Well, um, you know, okay, imagine Sam Tripoli is uh, harassing, uh, is harassing for some reason the Thonishta and Thishuk, and you you managed to dissuade they them. they created COVID-19. Yes, they created COVID-19 to help some bus drivers um, uh, bring immigrants into the country, I believe. Yeah, yeah that uh, the Americans who are listening to this will just have suddenly learned about the conspiracy. But yeah. imagine that, and they invite you to Supermax. Like, you know, that's, I mean, like, like if, if, imagine if you, okay, imagine even on Twitter, let's say that there was someone, let's say my arch nemesis. So for people who don't listen to Scapegoat, you should know my arch nemesis is Vanilla Ice, the 90s rapper. I've decided I'd <laughs> stuff to you. got quite a Phoenix look to him. He does. He certainly does that, uh, 
he's kind of he does have a very uh, John Felix look to him. Well, he's my rival. Imagine if he was, imagine if he was harassing me online. You said go away, Vanilla Ice, <laughs> and I said Johnny, I want to take you out to Supermax. <laughs> <laughs> what would your response be? Well, like I mean, I'm never going to turn down a Supermax meal. <laughs> it do- <laughs> There's something beautiful about that being such a natural response as a thank you to bring somebody out to Supermax. And it's just like, it's so hard to explain. It's just like, it's like, you know, you know, it's kind of like, there's be something so, it's something like weird and not wholesome about bringing someone to like a Burger King or a McDonald's or a KFC. It's just about bringing someone to a Supermax. It's, 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 it's something very special. It seems like a re- like a farmer's date or something. The only times I've ever been to a supermax really are you know when you're being put when you're kind of like driving for a long time, and you know you just pull off by a, like a layby and you know you're pulling off mm, like yeah. one of the motorways and you're like okay I'm in Cashel or somewhere I don't know okay where will I go okay let's go to the supermax. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but also like you can be pretty sure if you're in the country in a town, you're pretty sure if there's going to be any sort of chain restaurant, it's going to be a supermax. Like you probably won't find a McDonald's in, I don't know, Banner. Well, there's probably a supermax. Now to go back to something in the film that I want to mention, and this again goes back to how this film depicted a world post coronavirus. There's an amazing moment when Simon Phoenix is in the museum getting guns and he's just looking at a display and a group of Chinese tourists walk by him and he just laughs and goes, Ching Chao Chi He thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. He just saw a bunch of... And can I tell you the horrible thing is I would say I would bet money on the fact that's not in the script that's just Wesley Snipes <laughs> <laughs> you just saw some kids with Chinese hats and it was just like okay King Chong Ching Chong because like earlier in the movie when he was speaking like when he was at the parole hearing the parole officer was speaking to him and reading out his parole and he just started speaking Spanish replying repeating what he said in Spanish back to oh, him yeah, like, yeah. like which again wasn't scripted I just think I just think Wesley Snipes just didn't give a damn and he was just being like fuck you because like these aren't even like adults these are like fucking like 13 year old kids walking through the museum they just like you know let's racially harass these people yeah. but that is that's I've seen a lot of uh that sort of that attitude around in the post-coronavirus world of like alleged comedians have you seen that the um kong flu fighting videos no oh it's the worst. i don't know i just always find that difficult it's kind of like you know uh i just i kind of like i'm probably a bit overtuned to it but but because i lived in like southeast asia and i'd have a lot of like southeast asia i don't mean southeast but like east asian friends from korea i'm kind of very sensitive to that sort of stuff that i'm just like yo this is not i'm not saying that any kind of racism is cool but like you know it's even when people go run around saying oh you're like a soy boy and stuff i do sometimes (laughs) feel that there's a racial connotation to that as well that like you know, there are some weird stuff that I hear that maybe I'm. But I think I'm just I, I'm so unaware. I don't even know what it, to me like that fucking sci-fi thing. I just think it's hilarious when people when I see somebody use that online because anytime somebody calls somebody a sci-fi and you click into the, their picture, they're the person I would think of 
as if I was to use that word, which I wouldn't use. Yeah. You know, it's never used by somebody. It's like you don't hear the rock calling anybody a soy boy. Like you hear Candy somebody. That, yeah, but um, no, I'm just saying, like, just linking it to that, that I would just say that I would be a wee bit uh, sensitive to this. That like uh, I would just be yeah, yeah. super careful about this. And like I have heard that like a number of creators I like would be Asian or would be like you know have Asian girlfriends or whatever. And it's like, I was heard like, especially in London that like on the tube, there's like a huge amount of harassment of people like refusing to sit beside people or people yeah, refusing yeah. to do all this sort of stuff. It's like fucking crazy. Sorry. That'd be happening in Dublin. Not, not quite. No, not really. Maybe, maybe I, I, and I just haven't been aware of it. Hope I, I, I hope not, but it is definitely happening in other places. It, it's happening loads online. It's pretty fucking <laughs> repulsive behavior. The, the, my biggest problem with this, with the, the, the whole, the Kung flu and all this is that it's okay. I won't, I, I won't be as sensitive. I definitely think like it's definitely fairly racist, but it's also just so fucking hacky. Like the fact that they've all made the same joke, like 20, the same, like Steven Crowder done a video, par- done a parody where he's singing the song Kung Fu Fighting, only he's changed it to Kung Flu. And the same day, the same fucking day, uh, who's that comedian? Oh, you know, Opie and Anthony? Yeah. One of Anthony Kumie. Everybody from his like podcast network done a parody of the Gal Gadot Imagine video, only they're singing Kung Flu Fighting. But it's you know, so it's the same joke. It's worse than the Corona beer joke, which I'm pretty sure both of those groups are still making that joke. But you know, there's certain people, and like you know, they can just start making like they find one joke and they keep running it by, and like you know, they think it's the most hilarious term. It's like the most hilarious kind of joke that this here. Yeah, it's like yeah. I remember like you know, when, you know, the whole kind of like gay marriage thing was like in Ireland was going around and like, you know, like the people who were like against it were like, yeah, oh, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And I always thought like, <laughs> that's such a, it's a poor line to begin with. And the fact that people keep repeating it, like they think it's clever. It's yeah. just so dumb. We've been going for <laughs> two hours and 40 minutes. And we haven't reached like, the halfway point of the film. Yeah. I think we're going to need to just skip to the end. Okay. How about, how about I just throw in a summary of the plot and just quickly get to the end? Is that okay? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So so they go to the Taco Bell, which is a very posh kind of restaurant in the future. And like they've got valets, they've got all this sort of stuff. Yeah. They go in and people are singing like, you know, uh, people are singing like commercials like that's the new music people like are all these 90s commercials so yeah the oldie have, stations play like the wiener hot dog song for, or the armored hot dogs but they go like in that. and they have like a very 90s guy singing like you know the green jolly green giant theme and mm. i thought it was actually the lead singer of the crash test dummies but it was actually <laughs> right. i just googled it and it's just a guy called dan cortez so i was very disappointed but um <laughs> yeah they go into the restaurant they have food but then pretty much there is like like social intrigue but not that interesting but then all these ruffians from the sewers come up to grab food and there's a confrontation between Sly Stallone and uh, Dennis Leary who is trying to steal food and basically they run away with some Taco Bell and Sly Stallone's left scratching his head 
yeah that that's a reasonable there's that's a reasonable summary yeah yeah so like there's a lot of intrigue going along so much you could almost say the sword of dan cortese is over uh, sylvester sloan's head <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah and at this point we don't really know why, why what the relevance of um dennis leary's character is like yeah so he's not painted to, he's not quite a rebellion figure or anything then basically the next scene is uh stallone starts flirting with sandra bullock and then she kind of is into it but she wants to have cyber sex well he wants to have the real thing she ditches him and then he discovers like when he's home alone and he's been dumped like a chip, which pretty much shows that Wesley Snipes had run into the leader before Taco Bell and he hadn't shot him. So he kind of felt that there was something wrong. So he goes to confront the leader. Like, you know, he sticks a gun to his head and basically says like, confess. The leader doesn't confess. And he's told that he has to go back to be frozen again. Yeah. Then basically from that, that, they're escorting him back to prison, but like because all these people are so soft, he's just like, no, I'm going to the sewers. Later, guys. So he ends up dragging uh, Sandra Bullock into the sewers with him to go meet Dennis Leary. And this is where we see that um, they kind of have their own uh, society underground. They're not just living in a hole. Like It, it, it looks like the, the, the world from the Mario Brothers movie, which is the second time that film's come up on this episode. Yeah, but it looks, like, Hopper. <laughs> it looks like they kind of go into that world, like this underground society, or like a Fallout uh, community you'd come across in the Fallout games. Yeah. And instantly so, Stallone's character is like, he, he's happier down there. He's more, it's more his yeah. society. You know, so the, it's a lot more diverse. There's a lot more people kind of like there. They seem poorer, but they kind of seem like happy like to give him rat burgers and he seems to appreciate that too like he still eats it when he learns it's rat I, and he has a beer. i liked i liked that because if you were already enjoying it you would just be like ah oh, fuck it i've already ate it. would well, you I mean, eat a rat, rat burger yes yeah i probably would like you know it's it's one of those things that like if it was edible and this here it's kind of like for all those kinds of meats like if you're hungry enough yeah sure you'd eat i mean like in a kind of weird way, I'd rather eat rat than dog. And I'm sure dogs have better meat, but it's kind of like, I just yeah. don't want to eat a dog and rather eat a rat. <laughs> they go I'm pretty s- sure we've anybody who eats meat has probably technically ate rat anyway. Probably. At some point, they'd have crossed over, like particularly in some like dodgy fast food places. I'm sure I'm sure a, a rat would have got into the grinder. Like if you've, eat- <laughs> if you've eaten Supermax beef burgers, you certainly eat horse. <laughs> <laughs> it's true that's true i think that's actually a real scandal if i remember correctly yeah no no that happened yeah I yeah like tesco as well well basically sliced alone seats uh, a car and he falls in love he's like oh look it's an oldsmobile with bucket seats and he gets blindsided because he's fallen in love with a car by dennis leary who holds a gun to his head mm. so then dennis leary basically tries to explain to him that he's into freedom but in doing so he does the entire whole of what is it stop in d minor he does the entire routine that bill hicks did down to the word and you know tries to like you know do this here now you know the director's cut of this lasts for an hour and a half but they basically <laughs> cut it down <laughs> they cut it down to uh they cut it down to 30 seconds of him saying that like I'll eat beef burgers if I want to, and I'll read Playboy while covered in green jello while running naked for the streets and a whole bunch of like weird stuff. And like Sylvester Stallone seems really impressed by Dennis Leary, you know, 
with his ability to remember. So <laughs> he's impressed by his ability to remember an entire Bill Hicks record. You managed to eat in the back of a Toyota without killing <laughs> anything, so it's the loads kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing though because like for people that don't know what the joke what luke's referring to there dennis leary is notorious for ripping off bill hicks material but in this case like if that's a if that if, if he's taking an entire bill hicks piece there is it him or is it the writer of the film no i mean it isn't really a bill hicks but i'm being facetious no i know like, no uh, i know i know i'm just joking that i assume it is like oh it's okay a- sorry <laughs> i think i think that was i think from what i've read that they let him like freestyle and improv whatever he wanted to be because yeah once he it's got the too role, they wanted someone who was a bit of a ranter yeah no it's too close to it, it it's just like his stand-up anyway it's pretty much like that's he's got that song about being an asshole and it's pretty much yeah that it's pretty much that and now there's just one small i'm gonna just go into this for a couple of minutes but there's the whole uh dennis leary bill hicks thing and i think this is one of the most 90s things you could have which is if somebody dies that means that they're right and i yeah. think that bill hicks this is definitely a thing with bill hicks that like Bill Hicks, maybe maybe Dennis Leary came up with the joke, but it was the fact that Bill Hicks died, he has unquestioningly came up with the joke. It's like the question of, like, you know, if who was the bigger band before they before Kurt Cobain died? Was it Pearl Jam or Nirvana? Now, I would argue that I've heard certain people say it was Pearl Jam, and maybe if Eddie Vader had died in 1994, people would say be talking about Pearl Jam mm. and been like, oh, man, I want to listen to Alive or Jeremy. But like, yeah, it just yeah. seems a very '90s thing there. So I would just say that, like, with like with Dennis Leary, you know, people were claiming that he stole material from Louis C.K., but that was when Louis C.K. was popular, and now he's had a scandal. I think people <laughs> yeah. would gladly give it back to Dennis Leary. Yeah, yeah. It's only the thing you say about comparing Nirvana and Pearl Jam, though. That's so true as well, because chance if if Kurt Cobain didn't die, chances are In Neutral would have probably been their last album anyway. Yeah, and they would have probably just faded out. They'd be closer to like I'm trying to think. It'd be like My Bloody Valentine or somebody yeah. now. They'd have still been really big for a while and then just faded away. And now, and they're just kind of a beloved cult band that everybody thinks. Oh, it's a shame they didn't stay going. And they'd probably do other projects. You'd still know them. Kirk Cobain would still be somewhat busy, but yeah, like things would have been completely different for that band well you know what's kind of like because they died suddenly Soundgarden is up there like with Nirvana because Chris Cornell died but like you know Mm. if he had lived and Eddie Vedder had died I'm willing to bet you just going by that 90s Generation X mentality that people would say Pearl Jam were bigger than Nirvana yeah yeah but like that's just a bit of a thing that like maybe people are a bit harsh on Dennis Leary but I felt he was quite good in the film no he is i like dennis leary is very good in stuff like whatever about him like being a joke to for that i don't know but like i liked him in that remember that show um i was gonna say catch me if you can catch re- rescue me the fire where he's a firefighter okay i've never seen that but like yeah, it's pretty good like he, he was very good in it but like i'm just saying that just for his defense because i've been yeah. making a lot of cracks at his expense <laughs> in the meantime uh just to further on the plot uh phoenix calls to uh the lead bad guy you know the guy who's got him dethawed the leader of the city leader of the city basically reveals i've dethawed you to go kill uh edgar friendly uh and that way we can get rid of the rebellion of the people from the undercity 
Yeah. And, you know, Phoenix doesn't seem too happy about it, but like, you know, he can't shoot the guy and he has to follow his orders, but he asks as a favor, like once this is done, I want to control parts of the West Coast. And I also Which goes to- back to what you were saying at the beginning, your theory is he just like he just wanted his own yeah. like section of LA. Yeah, he was like, I want Malibu and Santa Barbara and basically just give me like a lot of the coastal cities and leave me alone. And then they were just like, Okay. And he said, Okay, I also want you to dethaw five of my main boys to come and help me with this. So he's got an agreement that they're going to dethaw like five guys to help him. So basically Wesley Snipes or Mark or John Simon Phoenix turns up to the sewers <laughs> to try and kill uh to kill Edgar Friendly and John Spartan. And they open fire and one of the main henchmen is played by Jesse the Body Ventura, who doesn't appear to be shooting, but he's standing back with a smug expression of his arms <laughs> crossed. Yeah. So there's a bit of a firefight and what happens then? What happens during this scene might be the what the moment I refer was referring to where it sounded like uh, Stallone shouted penis and not Phoenix. I just wanted to point that out. He probably did. Maybe maybe he was trying to like get Den- Dennis Leary on board, like I know you're getting the humor. Penis. We um well this so this is what uh, gives way to the car chase, right? Yeah. Basically both guys escape the sewers and it leads to a car chase where Sylvester Stallone's driving a 1975 Oldsmobile while uh, he's chasing down Wesley Snipes, who is in a new modern car. And basically it ends up that Sylvester Stallone is on the roof of the new car trying to get in to attack Wesley Snipes, but things go yeah. a little array. That's something actually important to remember because it should, comes up at the end. Uh, when he took <coughs> Huxley down to the sewers, he also brought her kind of partner, the young, the young guy. Yes, uh, Martinez. And, yeah, and now what happens? He get in in he gets knocked out, does he? Yes, he gets knocked out, but I don't think it's shown on camera. Right, because I was wondering at the end, I was like, oh, well, well, I didn't even know what happened to him. But yeah. there seems there's a lot of stuff like that in this film where people just disappear. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, wh- wh- where did it go? Because he shows back up at the end. And I was like, oh, I thought he died and I didn't notice. It seems like Dennis Leary's best friend. Like there's a story where they both saved each other or something. But like, you know, just that didn't seem to be on screen. Yeah. So there's a, a car crash. Stallone crashes at this moment because this self-drive won't work. Yeah. This uh, is after he's thrown Wesley Snipes out of the car to his death, but he doesn't die, of course. And it's, it's so clear he's not... They yeah. don't even try and make you think this could be the end. It doesn't even look like he takes that bad of a fall. Like, yeah. But Wesley Snipes, during the scene when they're fighting, admits that all the bodies in the building which are found, like, you know, the reason why he was frozen, he was actually set up. The, the bodies were already killed. He had done this as a setup to yeah. get John Spartan. And and John's reaction again is like Phoenix, as if yeah. he's shocked by this. And you're like, but you you knew this. You'd done the thermal scan. You knew he, these people are already dead. Surely, like I knew yeah. in the opening scene what had happened. It's just really weird that they treated that as if it was a surprise to to Stallone. I guess just him hearing Phoenix say it was enough to enrage him. Yeah, because no, I think maybe he was thinking maybe my thermal scan didn't work. Maybe something else had happened. But like mm. you know. This it was just kind of like to let the audience know, really, that like just yeah, in case there was anybody that didn't piece this together already, that like it was a bad guy. But then gets thrown out of the car, 
but the new modern car that Sylvester Stallone's is in <laughs> basically gets covered in foam when it crashes just to protect him. And uh, yeah, he seems it turns. Okay. It's like it turns to foam as well, though. It's like at the end of Ghostbusters after yeah. they've fought the the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, like when they're all like covered in that dried sort of goo, I guess. Well. Like, you know, it's it kind of makes a very disgusting sound when he opens the door for all yeah. of it. It's kind of very skin-crawling, but yeah. he kept it in. Then, moving on, Sylvester Stallone and Sandra Bullock go to confront uh, the leader of the, you know, basically, because they realize... The society. Because they realize at this point, his plan is just to kill Dennis Leary. And, you know, that's a sin worse than death itself in this <laughs> society. So... They're leaving, but they're confronted by the police force who are like, you're under arrest. But then pretty much Dennis Leary turns up with his boys and say, like, we've got guns, we'll shoot. And there's a bit of a standoff. But like John Spartan's just like, OK, I'm just going to get in the car and drive away. It's like the police, you know, the hardest thing they're going to say is like a strict, please don't get in your car, sir. So he just gets in the car with Sandra Bullock, who tells them to take their job and shovel it because her, her recurring uh, joke the recurring joke for Huxley is she'll just like keep saying like 90s expressions but saying them badly so it's like you yeah, know, yeah. you know okay you know we're going to what was it like you know you know we're gonna I can't even remember we're gonna blow now. him we're gonna blow him up but she's just like oh yeah we're gonna oh, go yeah, down we- there and blow him basically you've got uh, Spartan and Huxley which are Stallone and uh, Bullock, arrive to uh, where the bad guys are. Now, in the previous scene to this, we've Marcus, Fe- uh, John Phoenix, uh, Simon Phoenix, Simon can't, Phoenix. Sh- can't shoot uh, Cock Toe, who's the bad guy, the leader of the city who can't deform. So basically what he does is he gives the gun to Jesse Ventura, who shoots him. Yeah. And that was the, f- the, the first moment in the film where I realized that was Jesse Ventura. Yeah. Because, like, Jesse Ventura, like, you know, for being a reasonably big-name star, he just suddenly appears, does something, and then disappears. Yeah. Like, this is the last time we see him. Like, he isn't killed on screen. He just kind of, like, fades into blackness. But he, he clearly, there's clearly loads cut out with him, you'd imagine. I think what happened here is because, like, as you can probably imagine... <laughs> he showed up with a half a chicken one day. So. <laughs> probably. It was too late to fire him, so Stallone just cut him out. But like, I can imagine, like, you get him in as, like, a sub-boss to try and, like, you know, a fight before Wesley Snipes at the end. And yeah. that's probably what he's brought in for. But if you are listening to the story now, like, you know, you have Sylvester Stallone, who's the good guy. You've got Dennis Leary, who's the good guy. But you also seem to have two bad guys in Cocteau, who's like the leader of the city, who's got all these machinations and is shot mm. before he dies. Who's probably probably the true antagonist of the film because he's the person who puts everything in motion. Yeah, and you've got yeah. Wesley Snipes, who's uh, who's basically the bad guy. To have another bad guy there would might have actually made things even more confusing. Yeah, and it would have only been another fight scene. Would all all it have led to? And yeah. they weren't really short of a of an action sequence. Yeah. So I think that, like, they had the body there, but, like, you know, they don't show him. It's basically Sandra Bullock and... Uh, uh, Sandra Bullock and uh, Sylvester Stallone. I was going to say John Rambo to make it even more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Walk in, beat up a couple of thugs, and they go to... Uh, go to take on Wesley Snipes, but uh, 
at the last minute, Sly Stallone uses like a baton that like knocks people unconscious to knock Sandra Bullock unconscious because he wants to fight him alone. Yeah, which, by the way, just to go back, when he uses that for the first time earlier in the film, he asks what it is, and they just say it, and he just he just tests it out on a random person. I think it's just like it's, a maintenance guy or something. Yeah, and what these things are, they're essentially like an extremely powerful stun gun that just knocks people out. And he tries it out on this random stranger. And he by, by pressing it on their head, he doesn't even like hit them in the arm with. Like, that looks like you could kill a person if you do that. Like he probably head. just fell straight into his face. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I'm pretty sure he just murdered a person like straight away. Oh, come on, Johnny. He didn't murder him. He murdered death, killed him. There's a difference. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, true, true. We get to the final fight, which is like. Uh, it's Phoenix versus John Spartan, and uh, yeah, is there anything you'd like? Is there anything about the fight that uh, you'd like to say about the way it goes? Well, not there's nothing. So it's actually like quite a dull fight. That was like my biggest takeaway. Actually, you know what? Like I, I do really like this film, but the action sequences are probably its weakest point. Yes, the, the car chase yeah. is okay, but. Otherwise, they're really dull and kind of like poorly the edited. Shot, the like, first action sequence in the in 1996 was good, I felt. Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, that was pretty good. And that was quite tense. Uh, and especially like there was mystery to it. There was like, it, it was paced nice leading up to the re- reveal of who Phoenix is. Yeah. And it just like looked great. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, I think they're quite weak. The, the one in the underground when Phoenix shows up and tries to kill uh, I was, Edgar Smiley, Edgar Friendly. The first time, it's really bad. Like, there's the, you kind of have no sense of the geography of the place. Like, you don't know where anybody is or where it's happening. Like, I don't yeah. know. And it's the first face off. Is it the first face off in the future with Phoenix? And I was about to say John Rambo again. Jesus, this is getting confusing. With Stallone and Snipes. That's quite poor, too. But. Anyway, yeah, so the, so the last fight is probably better than their, their second altercation. But yeah, it's, it really doesn't have like this sense of finality. Well, like, it's not really even a fight that basically uh, he walks, sliced alone, walks in. And then like Wesley Snipes just gets like a mechanical hook. So imagine it's like a toy grabbing machine. Like, you know, it's like free yeah. suits going to lift something, uh, lifts him and starts squeezing him. And Wesley Snipes thinks it's funny to start shouting, shout, shout, shooting bullets at him then yeah, Stallone, yeah. and Stallone just manages to get some like liquid nitrogen and break the and break the contraption and then yeah. they like fight then they land to the floor Wesley Snipes immediately lifts a gun and starts you know a laser gun starts shooting at him and then pretty much like you know John's on the floor almost completely defeated at the last second he just gets one of the freezing capsules, which like, you know, froze people earlier, yeah, which has put them in the past, knocks it on the floor. And for some reason, it only freezes in the direction of Wesley Snipes. <laughs> so he's yeah. closer to it by a good bit. But like, you know, it only freezes towards yes. him. So it eventually yeah. goes freezes towards him. Then it remembers about like, <laughs> it remembers about him. But he manages to jump on a box, then grab the claw. And then yeah, it, and you know, freezes the room, swings and around. He's been chased by. It's like the day after tomorrow. He's been chased by the freeze, yeah. and eventually gets out. But while while he's spinning around on the hand, he, he's up. He jumps back up onto the claw to avoid the ice. But also, as he swings back around, what's the line he says? Um. Well, the line heads I up. 
heads up because earlier in the film, like in their first confrontation, yeah, uh, like it was actually well done because the first confrontation, Wesley Snipes says, "Is it just me or is it cold in here?" Which he says to him because they're in, like surrounded by like liquid nitrogen. Yeah, and the other thing that he says is like, "I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached to my shoulders." Yeah, and then yeah. Uh, you know, Sylvester Stallone kicks his head right off his shoulders and it smashes on the ground. It's inter- It's always interesting to me in the movie world when action heroes say those lines. Are they saying it for themselves or for the person they're about to kill? I know they're there for us, the audience, but in the context of the film, like why does John Spartan say that line? I would always say it's for the. I would always say it's for the other person. But, yeah, that's why I think. But in this case, it can't, like the other person can't hear it. Well, sometimes, you know, people say something after they kill someone. So maybe it is for themselves. Like that's true. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I forget what the film was. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he's like, I like you, Scoey, so I'll kill you last. And then like, oh, yeah. he's just like, I lied remember. after yeah, he dropped remember. him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I forget what that was. but like, That was you know, Commando. Commando. Yeah. So maybe it's just like that. So just to say the way it ends is they decide that Dennis Leary is now the new king, is he? <laughs> <laughs> well, he thinks he is. He he wants to paint the town red. And then he says, literally, I'm going to, we're going to spray paint it and get, get drunk, drunk and all. <laughs> and Stallone kind of stops him and he says, he turns to the, the head of the precinct and he says, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get a little dirty and you, you're going to get a little clean. And somewhere, I don't know, you'll figure it out. And that's the entire philosophy of the end of this film. It just comes down to like, yeah, meet in the middle, be grand. Yeah. Which like, I actually kind of liked. Cause like, but I kind of took that Dennis Leary was going to be the king because there's this guy and he's called what, like something, uh, some, what, Prefect Alex or something? Do you know he, the guy? Yeah, I can't, he's the guy from Beetlejuice. Yes. And so, he says, like, yeah, because as soon when your man's killed, the the guy, the ruler, the sort of Cocteau figure, yeah. Cocteau, yeah, he saw he instantly turns court and becomes an advisor to Phoenix. Yeah, and then the second Phoenix dies, he immediately seems to become an advisor to Dennis Leary. Yeah, who then rips him apart using his stand up skills to be like, oh <laughs> hey, why why do why do you have two hair colors and what's with your gloves? Are we in a surgery? classically (laughs) material but i think that's just your man just like so oh the the scraps are up here now so i guess they're in charge so he's just instantly going with them but i don't think that even i think that's just him just looking for somebody to to serve oh no but i was just like dude this guy's like being complicit for like all the crimes i thought that that's yeah i thought like somebody was going to just turn around and kill him at the end yeah no i I thought like when he ran away from wesley snipes he was going to get shot in the back yeah yeah but he just like wesley snipes just like fucker and then just leaves like you know wesley snipes like gunned down a bunch of scientists when he was trying to regenerate his friends and all this sort of stuff but like this one guy like associate alex or whatever it was like, yeah. you know, he's just like, nah, nah, you're cool. You're cool. I'll let you do whatever you want, you weirdo. See, Phoenix's character, it, maybe that is like true to his character that he probably, he would just like that this guy was just a bit of a weirdo and he, he might yeah. respect somebody who is so willing to just turn coat and leg it and only care about themselves. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. So what did you think of the movie? Yeah, I really liked it. What, what I liked, 
watching it this time was just seeing like especially like like that ending where Stallone just says you'll figure it out the fact that it didn't actually take the, the approach that a lot of these like utopia false utopia movies take where there is a where one of this one of the sections of society is just wrong like brave new world or the like end the, of uh what is it uh what's that arnold schwarzenegger go to mars film total recall total, total recall because that has like a utopian ending like blue skies over mars yeah 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 but isn't that fake it, i bet that that's what they'd argue that's what different theories would argue but i just mean like <laughs> you know the way there was clearly he's holding the oxygen we must give it to the people yeah yeah but like you know while this here was just like okay like you guys still chose to live in the sewer you're probably not the best you're not, yeah, yeah exactly but also but like they're not like in brave new world it's meant to be like horrifying that like this is what this false utopia is like but in demolition man to be fair it's like well they all seem pretty happy and yeah. like nothing's really been like you're you're fine for using bad language you're not put in jail people aren't like drugged up they're, they're not taking soma to to feel good about themselves there's no caste system it's like they just eliminated things that they agreed they didn't like anymore and, and i mean like uh, sorry no no go on no i just mean like if you take uh what is it sanchez was it like the like sandra bullock's partner cop like the young oh yeah recruit. yeah like, you know, he seemed at the very start, like, you know, he seemed very happy in his role and he's like, oh, I won't question anything. It's like, well, let's, because, you know, once they start talking in the future, they're all like, oh, salutations, my dear fellow. I hope you have a rosy, peachy day. So yeah. it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like speaking in the kind of way that like, you know, again, it's 36 years later, you know, there's some people who seem to have adopted to that way of speech really quickly. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, you know, in the same way that like, there's things that I would have said, which I try and not say from like 15 years ago, which still will end up popping into my mouth that like, you know, you're just like, oh, I don't want to say it's stuff like that anymore, but you'll still yeah. say it. Like, you know, everyone seems to really adapted to that like rosy way of talking. I think that's a big problem with the film that it's actually just not set far enough in the future for I think how much if, things have changed. I think if they just made it 2068, it would have made more sense. But the story is that Basically, they had an entire plot line about Sylvester Stallone's daughter, that she he was supposed to meet her, and she was supposed to be living in the sewer with Dennis Leary. And oh, like, of course. That was, was kind of like, you know, she was Leary's like sidekick or whatever, a girlfriend or whatever. And that's what really helped persuade John Spartan, because he seems to be very easily persuaded <laughs> to do it. Like, you know, yeah. just this lyric gives me some, like, like, five, like, 30 second speech about, like, loving hamburgers. The <laughs> <laughs> John's like, hey, this guy's is pretty all right. You know, I'll, I'll, let's kill Gactos. But, like, you know, <laughs> you know, you know there's probably, you know, according to the draft script, like, that was supposed to be, like, go on further. And, like, his daughter's. Which makes there. perfect sense. Yeah. You know, that makes more sense. And that's why it was said like 36 years later, because if you had a 10 year old daughter, like, or a five year old daughter, you could have like a 40 year old woman there. Yeah. And it wouldn't be too. Bit. But supposedly it was gotten rid of because they found it kind of creepy that Sylvester Stallone had a daughter older than Sandra Bullock, who ends up dating at the end. Uh, that would be kind of weird. 
yeah so they kind of it's already kind of weird to be honest but it's interesting they wouldn't have found some way like if they cut that scene out how they cut and because like i mean they fucking they mentioned pizza hut like 10 times in the film or they mentioned um taco bell and dubbed it out with pizza hut and it's really obvious so like they, they couldn't just do that with the year at some point you see that probably would have made more sense but like I think, you know, this is set in like 1994 where they made computer graphics. So stuff that like, you know, yourself or Shane could probably whip up in 30 seconds, probably spent $2 million making like a dial be like, yeah, seven yeah. murdered, F kill, MDK, or like 2032. They're like, we spent the money on the graphics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they already spent it on changing the sign outside of Pizza Hut, I guess. Yeah. And they also like they also probably spent it in Wesley Snipes' hair because he's wearing this uh, like blonde sort of like <laughs> he's got a blonde dyed hair and he's wearing like an orange shirt and dungarees like you know it's yeah. the, it's the most nineties attempted like badassery but he can yeah you know it, it was funny too because for years like I had to like double if we were if the discussion of Demolition Man ever came up I had to like look it up and make sure it was Wesley Snipes in the film and I didn't sound racist assuming it was Dennis Rodman that's such a point I'm going to lead into now okay so this is something like Dennis Rodman famously loved the character so much that that's what he based his haircuts off in the 90s when he started having oh. dyed hair he based it off that so oh, that's, that's okay. what he actually that's what he did. Well, Wesley Snipes didn't like the haircut. So immediately after rapping, he shaved his head because he didn't right. like the blonde haircut. But ah. um, Dennis Rodman loved it so much, he styled himself off Simon Phoenix. That. Which leads me to a point that you have a young man who is whose dad is the leader of North Korea. And his dad's a real film buff. And, you know, <laughs> the son is like really into like not taking, you know, you know anti-americanisms and all this sort of stuff and he watches this movie about a guy who takes down like you know downtown la then he kind of turns on tv and he sees this fella playing basketball he thinks they're the same person so i have a fear that kim jong-un <laughs> secretly <laughs> secretly believes that this <laughs> rodman is simon phoenix so that's why he's so close because he's like he's wow. tolerating his basketball, but like he secretly thinks he's the tra- he's the guy who'll take down America for him. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what must he? So and he so he would think Stallone is really John Spartan. Yes. You know he he kind of watched the film and you know <laughs> he he wasn't too clear on it. He just saw it and yeah. then he just saw this guy and he was like. Maybe this is a prophetic vision. This guy will help me take down the America. That's amazing. Because a lot of the confusion, like I didn't know that Dennis, that's who Dennis Rod, that, uh, yes. I didn't know Dennis Rodman based it off it. But yes, I, I'd seen, remember he was in that John claude Van Damme film. Was it Double Team or something? Double Team, yeah. yeah. So I always thought I was just confusing those two movies and one of them was Rodman and one was Wesley Snow. I always thought I was just switching them. You Which see, is probably I what I was doing. But. You see, that's the problem that like it's not like you're being bad. It's just Dennis Rodman immediately stole the style. <laughs> yeah. So you have yeah. so you're watching one film with a guy who looks like this, and then you're having a guy who's kind of like aping their style. I mean, like you know that way. You know, it's very easy to tell. And just for reference, mm-hmm. if you want to know what Sly Stallone's dress does, 
he's pretty much dressed as Claire Redfield from Resident Evil 1. <laughs> <laughs> he is actually. So we didn't really go into like how we'd be in the scenario, but I think, um, well, I think we have to leave it there because we've gone way too long. But I think, uh, I think we'd do all right in a scenario like this. Well, okay. So let's say that you're frozen. That like, do you think, what do you think would be the most difficult thing about dealing with the society for you? I, well, I think I'm going to, obviously the seashells are going to be the big one. But now that Stallone has explained that, uh, that's sorted. Yeah, well, I think gen, generally just the, the issues that John Spartan has. It's not, not the greatest world to live in. I, like, I don't have much affection for the 90s. That seems to be all anybody cares about. Well, that's all Sandra Bullock cares about in this. I don't know, man. I did, like, it'd be an awful way to live, I guess, <laughs> when you think about it. What, like people in the 90s? No, no, just the, their fu- the future they depict in this would be fucking terrible. Would you live above or below ground? I'd probably just go back into be frozen. If you have the option of just staying frozen in this, I'd probably choose the... Because, no, I would live up, up over ground, though, if I had to, because, I mean, at least I'd be physically comfortable there. Mentally, yeah. I, I wouldn't be happy, but, like, I don't want to sleep on the... whatever they're sleeping on down there. No. Well, I, want, I, I want to be able to shower. I'm always going to choose the society that lets me shower. Well, you know, I'd be tempted by that, but like, you know, if I went there and I had to be living, I think I would go underground. And here's my logic behind it is you've got Dennis Leary and he's using Bill Hicks's material. The thing <laughs> yeah. is that I also know the material of a comedian who died in the 90s, Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> Actually, Mitch Hedberg died in 2005 because his page said he died like about 15 years ago last week. Well, basically, I would just turn up and just start like saying lines from strategic grill locations and taking over the, the end of taking over like the sewers and then take it to the streets and the that there. And that's how I'd take Los Angeles, Johnny. Okay. <laughs> well, you, you thought <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, I have. I would just be like, hey, man, like, you know, how come like, you know, bananas are like, you know, you know, bananas are just like the opposite of traffic lights, man, because like, you know, you got green, which means stop. Yellow, which means go. And red means where the fuck did you get that the banana? And they're all like eating stuff in like... <laughs> Because like, I have to say that there's one guy who is like, if you ever watch the like Dennis Leary, like rat scene where he's doing his material, there's a guy who looks behind him and he looks like, you know, he's like going to be his hype man. He's going to start like clapping or doing something <laughs> like <laughs> So you you would survive because you would overthrow. Well, first you would you would gradually take over the underworld and then overthrow the upper society. Yes, that like what would probably happen would be that uh, I would start overthrowing the you know society down the south and uh, you know in the sewers, and then Cocteau would realize my plan, so they would try and thaw my arch nemesis Vanilla Ice to come take me on. <laughs> Like, you know, he'd be the guy to try and assassinate me. So then they'd have to unfreeze you to save my ass. That's what <laughs> If you're going to change society, I would be, I'd want to help you. But I don't know if I'd be much use in this world. I don't think I'd be able to live. <laughs> you wouldn't just hitchhike to Jersey where it's normal. Hey, you Irish fucker. Well, they're cl- hey, we're going well, to <laughs> Well, they're clearly separated from the mainland. I, I don't think that you you can because we don't see anybody from Jersey in this film so I assume they're not actually connected and th- there's no commercial flights right they mentioned that at some point well you know 
I just think it's a pity because I think if this movie had come out in 1996, you know, instead of 1994, you could have had a couple of guys from Jersey called Jay and Silent Bob who might have appeared in a few of the scenes mm. and that would have like let us know a lot more about Bridged, the world. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's it. That My fate in this universe rests on <laughs> if Jersey exists. <laughs> like, <laughs> but I'm not sure if I want to... Is, is that my only choice then? <laughs> like this world or Jersey? <laughs> I, I don't know Jersey really. I've never been to Jersey. I just... It, I've, sound too I've never been to America, but like, that's pretty much your choice. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think in this world, I just won't be very happy. So I would have to get out. And if Jersey is the only place I could get, uh, I, I think I could make do. I could yeah. like Red Bank looks nice. Uh, that show comic book men shows the street a lot. Looks looks grand. I think Cake yeah. Boss is, is set in, I think Cake Boss is in Red Bank too. So must be an affluent place yeah you get to jersey you look across the river and then you suddenly realize escape from new york is real <laughs> one final question would you rather be this world or the escape from new york i mean escape from la would you rather be in this universe or the escape from la universe if you were living in la right well so in the escape from la universe i'm in i'm in prison like Yes, but you're in prison with a guy who dresses like Che Guevara and Steve Buscemi <laughs> and who's Steve, selling yeah. maps to the stars. Yeah, no, I think I'll, I'll go with this world in that case because that just sounds like I'm living in the sewers in this world. Well, I, mean, you know? I suppose. It, it, like the sewers in this world still has a be- is still better than Escape from LA, I think. But yeah, no, I'm going to choose this world because at least in this world I have options. In Escape from LA, I've got none. I'm just in prison. Okay. Well, I could surf. They both have their advantages when you think yeah. about it. Yeah, thanks for having me on this uh, elongated podcast. I think I think yeah. that's the curse between myself and Gordo from those conspiracy guys. Whenever we appear on an episode, it ends up like three or four hours. Yeah, this one I, I'm not sure how long it'll be when it's finished, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's three. It's three to five recording anyway, yeah. so people will know how long it was. But it will probably end up being like what an hour forty. I don't know if I could get. I think I don't know if i could get it down to that i think because sometimes if you cut out too much like you lose like nothing's conversations aren't bridged together and it just sounds really weird so sometimes if you go too long you just you can't cut cut out too much you it depends the bit, you could just do a cut of when we're talking about the movie which would be about 25 minutes <laughs> yeah but then but that's the problem then it just abruptly switches from like back and forth to different sections of the movie and there's no context to why to why we keep going back and forth you could, or mention the same scene like three should, times you could just release a cut of it and then just be like you know 12 minutes in like do a break and then be like luke was being a real asshole and was trying to power through the story of the podcast to just try and like throw me off so like i was saying luke let's describe this in detail and he was just like no well they want to tackle about that <laughs> just kept throwing out plot details <laughs> Uh, this has been good fun so yeah it's been um, good crack can i do some plugs you can where can people so, find you um i would like you to contact me at if you want to if you're from jersey and you're looking to give me some abuse please uh, contact me at scapegoatpodcast at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at scapegoatpod uh yeah uh 
You can also uh, you have a Discord podcast. You can let, you can find my Discord. The easiest way to find my Discord is to find the Disaster Us Discord and ask someone on that where to get Felix <laughs> Discord. <laughs> Either that or looking up on Twitter. Um, that that is how people find Discords. It seems they go in and bother somebody from another room. <laughs> Asking. Look, okay, right. The the best way to do this is if. If you want to find my Discord, what you should do is go on to uh, those Conspiracy Guys Discord <laughs> and ask for uh, Disaster Artists. And Disaster Artists, yeah. ask for my <laughs> well, no, First, you, you, you go on to those Conspiracy Guys Discord. You ask, does anybody preferably, remember? <laughs> preferably, if you've never listened to their podcast in your life. <laughs> You asked, does anybody remember the name of the guy who was on the Peak Oil episode? Which, the one, and then you say, the one with Paul. And then you ask, by the way, what happened to Paul? You get such a good response. And eventually, eventually that will lead to Luke's Discord somehow. Somehow. And then, you know, you can say, and then you can go on there, and then you can, then we'll have a special page, which is called Bridges I've Turned, and uh, you can tell me all the people you've pissed off to find my Discord. Even that, or look in my episode descriptions, which have my Discord links, but... Whichever, whichever is easier. Both ways are good ways of finding my Discord. And the last thing I'd like to plug is the Disaster Artist Patreon, which I am a member of. I'd like oh, to say, good. if you go onto patreon.com and you look up Disaster Artists, you'll find their Patreon. Now, this is a real genuine endorsement because I am a paying member for this, so I can mm-hmm. endorse this. It's not like me saying, drink a uh, Taco Bell, <laughs> because like, <laughs> clearly, you're like, drink a Taco Bell. You clearly, you clearly haven't been there. But like, you know, if you go onto this, you'll find uh, you can support the podcast, you know, which is good. And like, is a, it's just joy enough alone. Um, but you can also find some bonus episodes and uh, you can find some other stuff that's uploaded to do with, I think you've got some stuff up about the camping trip or there's some of that coming up, but there's some videos and stuff. It's to be honest, I have loads of stuff I need to put up. I've been kind of poor at updating it. I want to get a good like back catalog of stuff to get up there. But Uh, yeah, so thanks. Thanks for coming on. And until next time, be well. See what I did there. (laughs) 